Sid in the Morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Here's the 3 1. Drill deep to left field. There it goes. Number 60. Slide over, babe. You've got some company. Aaron James Judge has tied George Herman Babe Ruth with 60 home runs. They all bought Cadillacs and left there long ago. We held a concert out in Brooklyn to watch the island bridges blow. They turned our power down and drove. Home run number 60 for the New York Yankees last night. And that is a huge, huge local story. The Yankees, on a smaller note, went on to win the baseball game. Giancarlo Stanton, a walk-off Grand Slam home run. And the Yankees got past the lowly Pittsburgh Pirates 9-8. to But the big story, of course, was Aaron Judge number 60. The Mets also won last night. And they won in the same exact fashion as the Yankees. A Grand Slam home run. In Mets' case, it was Francisco Lindor. I've been told by our guy Phil from Macedonia, our own version of the Elias Sports Bureau, that that is the first time ever, ever, that the Mets and the Yankees both won with walk-off Grand Slam home runs. Stanton for the Yankees, Lindor for the Mets. Lou Rafino, can you confirm and or deny if I, that's accurate? I cannot deny. I can't right. do either or neither. Yeah. I would just go to Phil yeah. when I need to know something. Phil knows a lot of stuff. Yeah, okay. Because he's, he's always giving me um, a lot of unnecessary... Well, how does he know so much stuff? Though? Well, he's, he's not paying attention to the show and he's oh. looking at the computer. Hold on. Sure. Oh, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hey, okay. uh, Phil, okay. Phil got, can you absolutely here. confirm no. that... You no, can? I can't confirm. It's... The first time both teams won off a game, uh, off a... But it wasn't a walk-off. No, Lindor's was not a walk-off. Right, it was just right. the last run to, to, score, uh, to uh, win yeah. the game. Okay, okay so let's, let's, let's hold off. Let's on clarify. Because you're about to get a series of texts. Okay. Yeah. Correct. Are you okay? Or you seem like you're out of breath. Yeah, you? no, I just had to find headphones real quick. I had to run in here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, welcome back my, to the show. I shattered yeah, my okay. kneecap. It's so good. Judge uh, hit number 60, uh, number 60 last night. That's Sid Rosenberg. He's the host. Yeah, I'm the host. And the last time a New York Yankee... Hit 60 home runs in one season. You got to date it all the way back to 1927. A guy you may have heard of, his name was Babe Ruth. Oh, the Babe hit 60 in 27. Then, of course, we know that Judge is chasing the all-time record 
American League record, Yankees record, 61. Now he's one back. And Roger Maris did that, ironically, in 1961. And Babe said, let's see if anybody can top that, boys. <laughs> yeah. That was actually a quote. That's That was. Yeah. Now the, uh, the, the rest of these uh, 60 home run club includes 1999 former Chicago Cub Sammy Sosa. He hit 63 home runs. In 2001, that same guy, Sammy Sosa, hit 64 home runs. In 1999, former Oakland A and St. Louis Cardinal Mark McGuire, he hit 65 home runs. In 1998, Sammy Sosa, yes, he did it three times. He hit 66 home runs that same year in 1998. Mark McGuire hit 70 home runs and the all-time best ever in 2001. As a member of the San Francisco Giants, Barry Bonds hit 73 home runs. That a 98 summer, I'll never forget it, baseball was on its heels. And uh, folks were losing interest in a big way. The ratings were down. Merchandising was down. Major League Baseball was in big trouble. And that 1998 summer was magical. Again, with Sammy Sosa hitting 66 home runs. Mark McGuire hitting 70 home runs. I'm not saying this uh, Aaron Judge chase comes even close to the summer of 98. Because the truth is, it really doesn't. But uh, this has been quite a story here in New York and for the Yankees, and for a guy that most people like with very little controversy, right? We know about the steroid allegations for McGuire, for Sosa, for Bonds, A-Rod, all these great home run hitters. Not Aaron Judge. And Judge hits number 60 last night. Phil, are you a Yankee fan? What is your, um, who do you love here? The Mets, the Yankees. I don't have a dog in it. What is that? I don't have. Oh, you don't care? No, I, I care. I just, I'm not like. You're not a fan of any of these local teams. It's not fair to people who are actually fans for me to call myself a fan of one or the other. Why is that not fair? Because I'm I'm not. You think they take offense? You think they get they get angry? People people are very defensive of their fans. (laughs) Stupid. Of course they are. (laughs) Lou is a Met fan. You don't care, right, Lou? Who the hell is this field? One of these teams. Yep. So by the way, that uh, Billy Joel song is titled "Miami 2017." And in the song, it's ironic, he goes, before we all moved here to Florida. That's one of the lyrics at the very beginning of the song. It's a great song. Billy Joel, Miami 2017. And when you pick up today's New York Post, along with Aaron Judge tying Babe Ruth with 60 home runs, a huge story. Here is the, uh, the front page. Record number of New Yorkers moved to Florida in August. August, for folks that aren't keeping score is the month that just passed, August. And uh, there's a Florida license plate that says, see ya, which Michael Kay says, by the way, every time a Yankee hits a home run, see ya. And it reads, the state escape. A record 5,838 New Yorkers watched their driver's licenses, or excuse me, switched their driver's licenses to Florida last month, breaking the previous record of 5,738 setback in January. So last January in the cold, over 5,700 New Yorkers moved to Florida. This year in the dead of summer in August, over 5,800 moved down to Florida. So Kathy Hochul, 
who is a governor, Eric Adams, this waste of time mayor. Bo Deedle needs to step it up. I'm sorry. I love Bo. Uh, Bo is one of the most loyal and toughest and dear friends anyone can ever have. He needs to step it up. Stop making excuses. I don't want to hear he's the guy. He's all we've got. I mean, Bo Deedle is not afraid to call out anybody. And every week on this show, and it's not an accident, every week on this show I bring up Eric Adams, waiting for Bo Deedle's response to kill him, and he never does. It's time. People are leaving this city, Eric Adams. People are leaving this state, Kathy Hochul, because of both of you, both, both of you are morons. And you're killing our city and state. And they're leaving again in big numbers. Kathy, you asked them to leave. Here's the good news. They're leaving. Eric Adams, remember you had that uh, ridiculous campaign, sort of putting up billboards, inviting gay people to come to New York? Why would you want to be in Florida? You've got a Republican governor. They hate the gays down there. If you're gay, come to New York. Remember that? Yeah, what's that? Have to wait. Oh, that's right. I think uh, yesterday for the second time, because one time wasn't bad enough, I believe for the second time, Eric Adams went to pivot and shift. Are we going to have to continue to pivot and shift? Yeah, like Adams shift. Yeah. Are we going to have to continue to pivot and shift? He was talking about these uh, vaccinations. He even aggravated the Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving. But uh, they're leaving, folks. They are getting the hell out of here. Which, uh, again, further proof that New York is not doing well. Sorry, Corey Zelnick. And by the way, sorry about your friend, too, Corey. I'm very sorry. Uh, not doing well. Not the city. Not the state. In fact, my really good buddy, Governor Pataki, who comes on this show quite a bit these days, he's a big sit fan. He was out there yesterday. He was the last, he is, I should say, the last Republican governor. Did a great job alongside Woody Giuliani back on 9-11. And finally, yesterday, my good friend George Pataki endorsed Lee Zeldin for governor here in New York. It took a little bit, but we finally got it. I don't have the cut number on here. Let me see. Maybe on the second page. Here it is. It's number 28, George Pataki endorsing my man Lee Zeldin. I'm here today for one purpose. And that's to proudly endorse Lee Zeldin as the next governor of New York State. The abortion laws aren't going to change. That's just a fact. Politics is the art of the possible. And so the issues in this campaign should be crime, should be schools, should be quality of life. There you have it, George Pataki endorsing uh, Lee Zeldin. And, of course, the big story today outside of that endorsement and Aaron Judge hitting his 60th home run continues to be the fight over the migrants People like Ron DeSantis and Governor Abbott, heroes. People like Bottoms, Lightfoot, Adams, Newsom, cowards. Cowards, I tell you. So DeSantis spoke at some presser yesterday. And you may remember I had Miranda Devine on this show at 9 o'clock yesterday morning. And I said, Miranda, it's interesting that with all this complaining from Eric Adams about the migrants, I don't remember... Eric Adams complaining when you, Miranda, and uh, Rob Astorino were reporting there were overnight flights to Westchester Airport, to Stewart Airport, with Biden in very sneaky fashion flying in these migrants in the middle of the night. I don't remember Eric Adams yelling and screaming about how inhumane and unfair all of it was. And sure enough, at yesterday's presser, 
Ron DeSantis, he made the same exact point, Lewis. This is Ron DeSantis, number eight. So when Biden is flying these people all over the fruited plain in the middle of the night, I didn't hear a peep out of those people, okay? I didn't hear a peep. I haven't heard a peep about all the people that have been told by Biden you can just come in and they're going, they're being abused by the cartels, they're drowning in the Rio Grande. You had 50 that died in some shed in Texas. I heard no outrage about any of that. Uh, I haven't heard outrage about all the fentanyl that's come across the border that's killing Americans in record numbers. I don't hear, I don't hear outrage about the criminal aliens that have gotten through and have then victimized people, not only in Florida, but all throughout the country. I didn't hear any outrage about that. Well, you didn't hear any outrage, Ron, because there was none. But send 50 migrants to a beautiful place like Martha's Vineyard, where according to people like Alan Dershowitz who live there, they welcome these folks with open arms. Then you get the outrage, which makes no sense. Lewis, Ron DeSantis, number nine. The only thing I hear them getting upset about is you have 50 that end up in Martha's Vineyard. Then they get really upset. And I'm sorry. Those migrants were being treated horribly by Biden. They were hungry, homeless. They had no no opportunity at all. The state of Florida, it was volunteer, offered transport to sanctuary jurisdictions because it's our view that, one, the border should be secured. And we want to have Biden reinstitute policies like remain in Mexico and making sure that people aren't overwhelming. But short of that, if you believe in open borders, then it's the sanctuary jurisdictions that should have to bear the brunt of the open borders. So that's what we're doing. And uh, I'll repeat what I said with Brian Kilmeade on Fox News on Saturday night when I call both Governor DeSantis down in Florida and Governor Abbott in Texas real American heroes. Heroes. It's gone viral. Fox News sent out a tweet three consecutive days because it's the truth. Even Charlemagne the God, Charlemagne the God, who, of course, is a host here in New York City, Power 105, is a uh, true and blue Democrat, real true and blue Democrat. Even he yesterday admitted what DeSantis is doing. Genius. Charlemagne the God, Lewis, cut number 21. For months, Republican governors have sent busloads of illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities like New York, D.C., and Chicago with the message of, if you like them so much, they're yours, okay? Well, just in time for Hispanic Heritage Month, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis upped the game by sending two plane folds of immigrants to the East Coast elite's favorite vacation island, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. I personally think it's genius. Thank you. But I wish that governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott would give Democratic governors and mayors more of a heads up, because then that would expose the hypocrisy of the Democrats, which is they don't want immigrants here either. How about that? That would expose the hypocrisy of the Democrats coming from a huge Democrat on his Comedy Central show, Charlemagne the God. 1-800-848-WABC. 1-800-848-9222. What a huge show we've got coming your way. My good buddy Thomas Sullivan running for assembly, District 23 in Queens, Fort in Afghanistan, Iraq, Kuwait, Save lives literally on 9 11. Thomas Sullivan 
coming up at 7.05 at 7.40. Oh, one of my all-time favorites, I mean this, Nigel Farrar. Oh, that's going to be great. Coming up at 8.40, the amazing congressman, my dear friend, Peter King. And then we go to Brooklyn at 9.05. This fight over anti-Semitism at CUNY. Eric Adams, all the guilty folks will talk to the very lovely Inna Vernikov. All that coming up on this hump day, Wednesday edition of the Nielsen Rated, number one news talk show in New York City and the self-proclaimed best talk show anywhere in the country. We are Bernie and Sid, and it's only right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. They said the Queens could stay. They blew the Bronx away. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Taxes on small and small corporations. like 80 degree temperatures and I live on the beach I kind of like them just so you know folks today is the last day of that till probably April I'm not kidding you we will I guess get to about 81 degrees today and that's it tomorrow 73 they're calling for a high of just 65 on Friday 71 on Sunday and looking ahead for the next 10 days highs in the high 60s lower 70s and even a couple of nights in the high 40s. So it's over. If you like the warm weather, the nice temperature, the real tan, not the Portofino tanning salon tan, which I get soon. It's uh, all over after today. I mean, Sunday is going to be nice, 77 and sunny. But the 80-degree temperatures end today. You That's are, terrible. Yeah, I know, Charles. Uh, you are sad about that, Lewis or Phil? Do you care? I... You don't care. Do not. Yeah, you don't no, care. No, it's cool. I mean, the good thing about living in this part of the country is you do get to experience. All right, Phil, thanks for that. That's, that's a good point, yes. Uh, we got four great guests stopping by today. Tom Sullivan coming up at 7. Then uh, we'll talk at 7.40 to Nigel Farage. That's going to be great. Peter King, 8.40, and Inna Vernikov coming up at 9.05. It's pretty unbelievable when uh, Charlemagne, the god of all people, Charlemagne, the god becomes the voice of reason for any party. But he really has become the voice of reason for Democrats, pointing out what a genius move it was by Ron DeSantis to send these migrants to Martha's Vineyard. Now, of course, he just piggybacked off of me, calling him a hero days ago. But um, the left, the White House, some of these maniacs, they refuse to admit that what these governors did was smart, and the real problem lies in Joe Biden and his policies. You go right to the White House. Corinne Jean-Pierre. Is she even French? Is she like from no, the I Bronx? Bet. I bet she might be of Haitian descent. Haitian descent. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I might be lying. It's yeah. all just a hunch. All right. Thank you, folks. That is the uh, full Francais, folks. <laughs> 
<laughs> so she's um, on MSNBC yesterday. Of course, she's the White House press secretary. And not only, not only is she still blaming the governors, but she's completely, completely removing any blame from Joe Biden. And as only she can, because she's a moron, she's blaming Donald Trump. Now, again, you folks tell me, maybe I'm not that smart. Donald Trump started building a wall. He had to remain in Mexico policy. And we had basically nobody, nobody crossing the border. Right now, the border is a complete mess. Mess. Fentanyl coming in every day. All kinds of issues. We did not have that under Donald Trump. Am I wrong? What am I missing? So how could it possibly be Donald Trump's fault if, in fact, when he was president, we had none of these issues? That does not stop Corrine Jean-Pierre from going on and on, blaming Trump and removing any blame from this idiotic administration. Here is Corrine Jean, courtesy of MSNBC. This is Cut Lewis, number five. Look. The system is broken, and we know that. It was decimated by the last no, it wasn't. Uh, administration. No, it wasn't. And what we're trying to do is, is fix something that has had decades and decades of uh, deterioration when you look at the system. So what we're asking is we're asking to really fix it in a, in a way that is transformative. And to do that, it is really Congress acting. And we're asking Republicans, hey, instead of playing political games, why don't you join us in trying to uh, fix a real problem? Uh, shut up. All right. So uh, remember Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris a couple of days ago said the border was closed. The border was secure. Flat out lying to my good buddy Chuck Todd, NBC, meet the press. Corrine Jean-Pierre says the same thing yesterday. Folks, it's a complete lie. Complete. Here is Corrine Jean-Pierre, number six. We have to fix what's actually broken. Well, yeah. Right. And if we don't do that, then we're not truly addressing an issue uh, that is affecting all of us. And so, look, the border is not open. We're doing everything that we can uh, to make sure that we're dealing with this issue. It's a crisis that has been decimated. Right. The system has been uh, decimated by the last administration. And so we're going to do everything that we can. But again, these political games, we're going to call them out. They are really inhumane and inappropriate. Right. What's going on at the border? Inhumane and inappropriate. People drowning, people dying in big, big numbers. While you, Corrine Jean-Pierre, and Kamala Harris, and all you folks claim the border is closed. I could not agree more. It is inhumane. The way you, Corrine Jean, are lying and treating this crisis. Do we have a, um, a little wrestling match between Sonny Hostin from The View? And uh, Nikki Haley, what is that about? Yeah, that wrench on The View. Uh, yeah, so she called Nikki Haley a chameleon. Now, why is that? Because she doesn't use her real, um, she, well, basically on her, poli- I guess she's accusing her on her policy of, of not being clear on where she stands on certain things. But then also, she's, uh, she called her out for not using her birth name, which, which is, is like, what? which is like, a, a, in, it's an Indian name that's very okay. hard to pronounce. Well, let me ask you this. What are the odds that Sonny, is really Hostin's last name. Uh, first name, you mean. 
Uh, first name? No, it's not zero. It's like a right. nun- it's like a Nuncian or something with like with like some sort of accent on like on like the U. So how could she call out Nikki if she's doing the same thing? Because she's stupid. Oh, okay, fair enough. You yeah. have all that. Yeah. All right, great. But uh, listen, before we get to all of that, traffic and sports are coming up. But right now, it's time for the seventy-seven WABC clip of the day. Listen to "Cut to the Chase" with my good friend Laura Curran. It's on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Here, Laura talks with Melissa DeRosa about the Democratic Party. Melissa DeRosa, she was secretary to Governor Cuomo. That is the highest appointed position in state government, and is the first person to have served in that spot. I want nothing more than for the Democratic Party to succeed, particularly federally. In a state like New York, a few years ago, these individual races were much more important. But now the Democrats have a supermajority in the state Senate. The Assembly is overwhelmingly Democratic. Like, a Republican is not going to win statewide here and race for governor. It's just not at any time in my lifetime, I don't think. This is Sid on Sports. Oh, my goodness. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Well, it ain't Sid. It's Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Again, sponsored by Peerless Boilers, Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com for a dealer near you. Did you... Uh, we did a soft opening. Exactly. Yes, we did do a soft opening. A soft, soft opening. Aaron Judge is uh, anything but soft as uh, he showed out last night for big old... Number 60. Here's the 3 1. Drill deep to left field. There it goes. Number 60. Slide over, babe. You've got some company. Aaron James Judge has tied George Herman Babe Ruth with 60 home runs. The call, courtesy of the great Michael K. and the S Network. The Yankees don't lose when Aaron Judge homers. So naturally, in the ninth, after Judge's 60th, they load the bases and clear the deck for a walk-off cannonball slam from Giancarlo Stanton. That one's drilled to left field. Is it high enough? See ya! A walk-off grand slam, and the Yankees win! Judge hits 60, and the Yankees win in walk-off fashion! Oh yeah, baby. Michael K. once again with the call. And the Yanks take care of the Pirates in dramatic fashion to cap off a 9-8 storybook win in the Bronx. Luis Severino makes his return to the bump tonight at 7.05 p.m. for Game 2 going up against Pittsburgh's Ronzi Contreras. As for the Metropolitans, well, they couldn't let the Yanks have all the fun. As in Milwaukee, they too whipped up a double meat grand salami sandwich paired with a scrum diddly umptious Francisco Lindor aioli. Lindor hits one in the air to deep left field. Back goes Yelich to the warning track. Looking up. It's out of here. Francisco Lindor with a grand slam to put the Mets in front. The great Gary Cohen with the call. Lindor's slam put the Mets up in the seventh, and they wouldn't look back as they secured the 7-5 victory and the Series W over the Brewers. The finale of the three-game set scheduled for this afternoon at 2.10 p.m. Eastern Time. Taiwan Walker going up against Milwaukee's Adrian Hauser. For more sports content, follow 77 WABC Sports on Instagram and Twitter. Here with your bottom-of-the-hour sports update, I am Justin Alec on 77 WABC. Bernard McGurk. Bernard has been a friend of mine for so long. And Sid, you too. Sid Rosenberg. Not good, great. Bernie and Sid in the morning. I love you guys. I listen to you every morning and walk around the house laughing my butt off. On the Red Apple Podcast Network.
Oh, you know this theme song, of course. Law and Order, courtesy of NBC. I've been stopped more than once. I told you this, though, about a month ago in uh, Grand Central. Some uh, really cute, and I do this only because this is what the liberal media does. I must describe everybody. Some really cute uh, black guy who was uh, clearly a homosexual, ran up to me in, in, in just complete hysteria and was yelling and screaming, true story, in, um, what do you call that there, the, um, I just said it, Grand Central. Train station. Yeah, he thought I was Chris Maloney, the star from Law & Order. Oh, my goodness, it's you. And what's funny is that was like right after we put together that uh, silly video here where I kind of copied what Maloney did with Peloton, but I did it in the office. It was like right after that. And uh, some guy at Grand Central was like, oh, my God. Of course, I'm not Chris Maloney, but but coming up later on this afternoon, you would know this if you follow me on Instagram at Rosenberg.Sydney or on Twitter at Sid Rosenberg or Facebook, Sid Rosenberg. You would know this, that uh, coming up at 3 o'clock this afternoon, I have an audition for Law and Order. No specific part. This is, I guess, you know, you got the stars of the show. Then you have all these episodes. And they need character actors to play in these episodes. So coming up at 3 o'clock today, uh, via Zoom, auditions are no longer done in person for the most part. I'm auditioning for Law and Order, and I'm really excited. You know, I've got, I got Gravesend coming out sometime late next fall. Season 2, can't wait. I've got the movie Gemini Lounge coming out. Hopefully uh, late fall, early winter, 2023. Danny A, Los Angeles, can't wait. And if I can get a little gig here in Law & Order, at that point, Lewis, you would have to consider me a legitimate thespian. No? Maybe not. I don't know. But but thespian. I don't know. I got all excited yesterday. I'm walking to dinner with Gabriel last night. I'm like, Gabe, I have an audition tomorrow for Law & Order. He's like, Dad, you're a fake actor. I go, what, what wow. does that mean? I'm a fake actor. Like fake news? He goes, yes. I go, but Gabe, Gabe, I've been in a movie. I'm on a TV show, a big one. have a reoccurring role. Now Law & Order reached out. How am I fake? He goes, you're a D-list dad, D-list at best. Oh. Law wanted to die right there. He wasn't even being funny. He was being serious. He I'm like, Gabe. Doesn't think you're a thespian. No. Quote, dad, you're D-list at best. D-list. You can act like a man. Right. I mean, I got Gravesend, Gemini Lounge. I'm making Tank Job, Ron and Santa's movie, CNN, in uh, Bayonne, New Jersey. Start shooting that in November. Now I got this. But according to Gabe, his dad, Sid Rosenberg, a D-list actor. Well, D-list. Until you have a show. Oh, That's my God. probably going to be the case. I don't you, know. You, Kill me. You're, <laughs> well, Kill me. You're running around doing 16 things. I'm doing a lot but, of things, but, yes. Uh, he doesn't see that you're uh, on one big thing. He's not impressed. No. Uh, later on today, also, I'm going to be a guest on Monica Crowley's podcast. That's kind of cool. You like Monica Crowley, right? I love Monica Smart Crowley. Smart girl. Doesn't make you a thespian, though. No, doesn't make me a thespian. Uh, Gabriel Rosenberg, my dad, is a D-list actor. On the day I've got an audition with Law & Order, come on, Gabe. Come on. That is harsh. I know. So the, uh, the governor race heating up. We did play Governor Pataki's endorsement of Lee Zeldin earlier. So now this uh, Kathy Hochul, she's come to the crashing realization. She's no dummy. That fighting crime 
may help her. She has watched all of her humongous leads in all these polls dwindle down, to some cases, just three points. Three. And why is that? Because she doesn't care if you walk outside your office or home today and get bashed over the head by some rapist or criminal or murderer. She doesn't care. So now she's acting as if she does. A little too late? We can only hope so. So you got this uh, story about this maniac who started wielding an axe at McDonald's. First of all, what kind of man brings an axe to McDonald's? You expect the Chicken McNuggets to be lousy? Do you know the Big Mac is not going to be very good? What are you going to do with that axe at McDonald's? So the guy, the guy goes on to say, I take it everywhere. It's like my Amex card. I don't travel in New York City without my axe. How about that, Lou? <laughs> I can see you coming into work. Instead of dropping your wallet, you drop your axe My down. axe, yeah. Well, I did axe throwing at uh, that retreat up in uh, New Jersey, that beautiful, beautiful place, which I love desperately. Bring, bring an axe in and get a happy meal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Kathy Hochul yesterday was forced to remark about this uh, McDonald's axe guy being released in literally like 15 minutes, as she does with everybody, as policy does with everybody. Here's the answer from Governor Kathy Hochul. This is cut number 25, and it sounds like a lot of bullshizzle to me. Hochul, 25. Many players in the criminal justice system, starting with the arresting officers who determine what charge to bring, as well as a district attorney who will decide whether or not to stay with that course or to have an upcharge from what is recommended. We're actually asking what the thought process was in the decisions that were just made because... We have a question about it because they have the discretion to uh, charge uh, in a different right, way that would second. make them. Uh, let's search eyes again. Kathy Baby, Governor Hochul, sweetheart. There's a man who was in McDonald's wielding an axe, could have easily killed two or three people in a matter of moments. Moments. Why is this man not in prison? Let's try it again. Very simple question. Kathy Hochul. Number 25. Many players in a criminal justice system, starting with the arresting officers who determine what charge to bring, as well as a district attorney who will decide whether or not to stay with that course or to have an upcharge from what is recommended. We're actually asking what the thought process was in the decisions that were just made Hmm. because... We have a question about it because yeah. they have the discretion to uh, charge uh, in a different way that would make them bail eligible. Did you bottle that? Did she say anything? <laughs> Just answer the question. Why isn't that maniac in jail? Lee Zeldin, the right choice for governor come November. The only choice for governor come November. He talked about it. Lee Zeldin, number 27. This mayor is calling for a dangerousness standard to be added so that judges who would be getting a case like this would have the discretion to weigh dangerousness in deciding whether or not this person who is swinging an axe and breaking walls and tables in here and even slapped one customer shouldn't just end up right back out on the street with the judge having no discretion. Uh, You can't argue with that. No discretion, should not be back on the street. Bottom line, wielding an axe at a McDonald's, broad daylight, crowded restaurant, not okay. 
There's no what discretion, Lewis. <laughs> what, what? I mean, give me a break. It's New York City. So Just... now, <laughs> Kathy Hochul, in an effort to combat some of this subway crime. Oh, now she's really getting serious. Now there's going to be cameras on the subways, and if you're being a bad boy, we're going to see you, and we're going to come get you. And that may be true. What she left out was, after we get you, you can go home. Here's Kathy Hochul, number 26. This is all about safety, the safety of our riders, and letting would-be criminals know that should you harm any other passenger in any way, you'll be observed, you'll be caught, and you'll be prosecuted. Right. Then you get to go home. I mean, Kathy, baby, that's the problem. We got great police out there every day. Even the guys standing outside these studios right now doing nothing for you on Assembly Week. These are great men and women. Great police officers. Courage with a capital C. Bravery with a capital B. Nobody, and I mean nobody, loves and respects our men and women in blue more than me. Nobody. Greg Kelly's right there with me, but nobody does. Nobody. We got great cops. So they go out there, Kathy, and they find a guy like this wielding an axe in McDonald's. Or to your point, they find a guy exposing himself on the D train or hitting somebody on the L train. They find him. They arrest him, to your point, Kathy. And then what? Then they walk free. What good are cameras? What good are solid police people? What good is is any of this if your DAs, Alvin Bragg, who you refuse to fire, your judges, these liberal lowlifes, continue to make these calls based on your favorite word, discretion, and decide to let violent people walk the streets day after day? What good are the cameras on the subway if you do, in fact, find somebody doing something illegal if not violent, just to be let out in less than an hour. What good is all of that, Kathy Hochul? 1-800-848-WABC. 1-800-848-9222. Feel free to wish me luck today on my Law & Order audition. Unlike Gabriel, my own son, go to my Instagram, my Facebook, and on Twitter. Don't forget, Thomas Sullivan, Nigel Farage, Peter King, and Inna Vernikoff, all about to come your way on a huge Hump Day Wednesday edition of Bernie and Sid. <laughs> I want to rock! Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. It's a tough week in the Rosenberg household. My daughter Ava leaves for college on Friday morning, so I am uh, starting to become a mess. She has a very early flight to uh, London with my beautiful wife, Danielle. They're going to fly to London, then they take a two-hour train from London to Wales, where she's going to college, and uh, that's it. My little girl's gone. Oh, boy. 
She's coming back, Sid. Stop it. It's a beautiful chapter. Shut up. God. You talk yourself down. Yeah, fine. fine. No, the, you have to understand this is how life goes. I don't like this part. I don't like it. I don't care whether you like it or not. Maybe it went great for you. Maybe it'll go great for me and Ava. Right now, I don't like it. There is no silver lining. She's not supposed to be in a different country away from me and Danielle. So I'm a little freaked out. Thank you for the um, sympathy, Lou. I appreciate it. I, I, yeah, I am sitting here pondering aye, aye, your, aye. your issue. It is very difficult week. I agree with you. On what? That it is very rough. It is rough. Yes. I, I can tell Isn't it annoying that. when people are like, no, no, it's beautiful. This is, she's going to move on now. And Oh, that's true, too. No, it's stupid. Okay, it's, it's stupid. Sometimes so. truthful things are stupid. You know that. You do want her to be successful and happy and great, don't you? I guess. <laughs> okay. Right now, I just miss her, you know. No, she's well, a pain in the ass, too. I got to tell you, she's brutal. I mean, she is brutal. Disrespectful at times. <laughs> the whole thing, you know. She's a kid. She's a teenager. She's a girl. What can I tell you? She's your daughter. Yeah. That's why you, it's very rough. I'm not going to miss uh, washing her bras and uh, panties, though, because in the, in the, I do all the laundry in the house, you know. And then I got to fold all the clothing, and then I got to figure out which one's Danielle's, which one's Ava's. It's, yeah. It's, uh, she won't do one uh, situation. She's going to wear the same clothes, my daughter, the same sweatshirt for three months. So good luck with that, Ava. I tell you, I, I cannot picture you doing that. That's kind oh, of every a day. vision. Okay. Oh, I'm a, I'm a okay. huge laundry guy. Okay. I love the smell of bounce. <laughs> and sometimes I rub some uh, that's, of that. Um, that's all, I need to all right, fair that's enough. All I yeah, need. thanks. Yeah. I really don't need. Yeah, that. so she's leaving, and I'm depressed. I see why she's leaving. Actually, I'm going to cry on Friday. I'm going to be a mess on Friday morning. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be a mess. Something new. Yeah, it is nothing new for me. I really am the John Boehner of radio. Sid, grab a hold of yourself. But at least Gabe is going to be home. Yes, my son Gabe. Who once again think? referred to me just last <laughs> night as a D-lister. <laughs> Son of a gun. Uh, yeah, we got a, a huge three hours about to come your way. Tom Sullivan, Nigel Farage, Peter King, Inna Vernikov, Lydia Reports, Beat Sid, and of course, a majestic morning, Aaron Judge. With the 60 home run club in a dramatic Yankee walk-off win last night. Our number two of the hump day edition of Bernie and Sid. Ava, I love you. About to come your way. We're doing it live! Hey, Bill O'Reilly here, and you are listening to Bernie and Sid. God help you. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hard. 
So we got this uh, talented sales staff here, led by Glenn Tachinelli, really led by Chad Lopez. But um, Leslie Slender is the cream of the crop. Lovely lady. And her daughter lives in London, much like my daughter's going away to school. And here's what she texted me during my uh, little conversation there. I'm looking for support, you know. Leslie goes, she's never coming back, trust me. Well, how is that going to help? How does that help even a little? Well, you know, she's, she's another brutally honest person. <laughs> I know. She goes, That's sorry, it. love, five years with my kid in London, it's awful. It's so, so bad, very depressing. I do, I, I'm depressed over it often. I go, Leslie, you're not helping. And she says, I know, but maybe I need a support group, too. So there it is. It's the Our Daughters Move to London and Wales group, led by Sid Rosenberg and Leslie Slender. We are looking for other folks to join us today. My name's John. My daughter moved away three and a half years ago. I, um, I, I still have nightmares. And, well, I, thanks for letting me Don't share. make light of this, by the okay, way. It's right. very depressing. Okay, very sure. depressing. Yeah, it is depressing. You're going to be fine. Jeez. So the Sullivan family are dear, dear friends of mine, led by Mike Sullivan, who, of course, owns that beautiful landmark, the best roast beef anywhere in the world in Brooklyn, Brennan and Carr. But although all the Sullivan boys are dear to me, Brian Sullivan and, of course, Thomas Sullivan. Tom has been on this show many, many times. Bernie loves him, too. All Tom did was serve in Afghanistan. Uh, where else? Iraq, Kuwait, saved folks literally from the buildings back on 9-11. And he's running night, not right now in a District 23 in Queens for assembly. He's run before, and me and Bernie have been there for him before. We really want to win for Tom Sullivan this time. And he got great news yesterday. A very good friend of mine and a very powerful member of specifically the Jewish community here in New York is about to endorse him. With all that said, here he is, my dear friend, Thomas Sullivan. Tom, good morning. How are you, pal? Uh, good morning, Sid. Good morning, New York. Uh, doing well. You know, my, my daughter is going to be heading off next year. Uh, I think I'm going to need a different support group here. I might, I might host people here at the house to celebrate. <laughs> uh, what? She, Listen. She, she's amazing. She's great. But I, I want her on her way, doing great things and, and, and learning about life. And that's what your daughter is going to be doing. Yeah, out whatever. Out there traveling, getting Get different experiences, Get different here. culture, et cetera. I'm gonna You're going to love it. I'm going to beat you up, Tom. I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> I um, No, listen, my, my yeah. daughter, Ava, believe me, she makes us crazy. As you know, Tom, you're close with me and Danielle. She makes us crazy a lot. But she's an amazing kid, beautiful, brilliant. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. It gives us a chance to go to Europe a couple of times a year, but it's, uh, it's far away. It's, it's making me uh, sad. Anyway, uh, let's get to your race. You were on a couple of weeks ago. Again, you're running in District 23, New York State Assembly. Uh, once again, Tom, give the folks the uh, areas in that district. Yeah, we have uh, Ozone Park, Hamilton Beach, Howard Beach, uh, Broad Channel, you got the whole Rockaway Peninsula from the Atlantic Beach Bridge uh, all the way down to the, the tip of Breezy Point there. That is a huge area. And um, right now you're, running, you're going to be running against two. Who's that lady you're running against? Uh, Stacy Pfeffer-Amato. And she, she has, um, I guess, dating back to her father, she's got some, um, I guess she's got some cachet in that area, yes? 
Well, no, in, in this area, uh, the, the state senator, uh, Senator Dabo, uh, his father was there for a, c- a couple of decades. Uh, Stacy's mother was there for mother, a couple right. of decades. Right. So we, we talked about that before, about the different dynasties uh, here in this area. Um, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm firmly against uh, Korea politicians. I'm I'm, I'm big supporter of term limits. And, uh, you know, that, that would help end some of the corruption, intentional or not, uh, in, in state government. Hey, Tom, what do you think about these uh, governor decisions, DeSantis sending these migrants to Martha's Vineyard, Governor Abbott sending them here to New York City and other places? You know, again, I've dubbed these men as heroes. People like Eric Adams are very, very upset. Who cares? What is your thoughts on these uh, Republican governors saying, hey, hey, you want to be sanctuary city? You can have them. Well, you know, that's one of my uh, uh, points here with New York. Uh, we have to end this self-proclaimed policy of sanctuary city. They're violating the, the law by, by having a policy, right, because federal law prohibits that, this type of uh, open border policy and, and come here. So uh, I didn't know what to make of it first, but it's certainly bringing national attention to the matter now, which is what it needs, Right. People in uh, in Minnesota and Wisconsin and and uh, upstate New- places like the upstate New York, you know, we, this is what uh, Texas and New Mexico and, and and all the other border states are, de- are dealing with on a daily basis, but on on a, on a much larger scale, and uh, they're calling them out. You know, you you want it? You want to feel what this is like to try and find seats in classrooms, hospital beds. Uh, places to live, places to stay, jobs. Well, this is what it's like, right? Now they're living on the streets. I was up in Corona, New York last night. I was, I almost fell down. Hadn't been up there in about a year and a half. Not in my district. Was up there for a different reason. And you know, they're it, they're doing what they want. They're setting up shops on the street, right on the sidewalks. Nice. They're sleeping in places they shouldn't be sleeping for their own benefit. It's just, uh, you know, they're, they're getting the taste of what. What about other places in, in the country again? Right, so. right. Yep. You know, so I was talking to a guy named Frank Pilata yesterday, and he's running in a District 5 in New Jersey. Very big area all the way from Fort Lee to Sussex County. And I brought up some old neighborhoods where I used to live, you know, in New Jersey. Very nice neighborhoods, Tom. Neighborhoods like uh, Tenafly, Englewood, Alpine, Demarest. And he said, Sid, we've got crime. We've got break-ins. They're stealing cars. We've got violent crime. I go, wait a second. Even in those neighborhoods, he goes, yes. And every time you come on, you tell me, even the nicest parts of Rockaway now, Bell Harbor, Neponset, Howard Beach, Breezy Point, you're experiencing the same thing, yes? Yeah, we're, we're just not seeing the, the scale of it at this point, right? Um, but this is what I explain to people in our neighborhoods all the time. Yes, we may not have no crime, and our streets may be clean, but we're next. It, it just it takes one neighborhood at a time. We need to reverse that and clean up one neighborhood at a time and, and get it back to, you know, restore law and order is what, what we need to do. You had a, a great uh, conversation a couple of days ago with a dear friend of mine, the voice, if you will, of the Jewish community, a guy that's on this show quite a bit, Dove Heikend. How did that conversation go? You know, obviously it went wonderful. Uh, he's going to give me his full endorsement. We're going to meet after the, the Jewish holidays here next week. 
Uh, we spoke several times on the phone. I respected and admired him for a long time. But, you know, before he he did this, he wanted to get to know me. And we had multiple conversations uh, over the course of the last month and a half. His decision is deliberate. It's based on information. Uh, I appreciate the connection. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he was just – it was a wonderful conversation. He's a wonderful man that cares about this city. Uh, obviously, his number one issue is with crime and uh, specifically against uh, – you know, the Jewish community. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're on our way. We've got a couple other endorsements, uh, as you had known a couple of weeks ago from Peter King. Uh, we're having the conversations with some other folks. I, I like this part. It's, um, you know, they, they, they put you through the ringer, right? They want to know where you stand, what you're going to do about it. They don't want to hear you just complain, right? So that that's what we're doing. We're proposing some solutions to some of these problems. You brought up one issue at the uh, 6 o'clock hour with the 5,000 people in August. I briefly talked about this uh, on the show uh, probably about three weeks ago. Uh, 322,000 people. You, you said 5,000 in August alone just right. in Florida. By the way, that was just a Florida. So 322,000 people left New York State last year from July 1st, 2021 to June 30th. 322,000. And, and the majority of those went to Florida, but then they went to North Carolina and South Carolina. Tennessee now is in the top five, yep, yep. And, and Texas. And, and, and listen, this is real, it's a much bigger problem. you got huge financial firms, UBS, Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse, right? They are all setting up shop in places like they're establishing headquarters, small headquarters right now in Miami and Utah and other places for lots of reasons. But one of the biggest reasons they just realized that's where the employee base is. Right. You know, you used to get that phone call or that notice one day in the office that, Hey, we're moving to Miami. Do you want to go or not? And then you got to go home and have that conversation with your family. <laughs> we're going to move the family. Now the family is already down there. Right. They're like, forget it. We're leaving going down there. <laughs> so true. And, 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 then, and then the companies are coming there now. And, and I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here. You know, JetBlue was established here in New York in 1998, right? Their lease is up next year. They, they have already started the process. Of course. This is public, right? Read Forbes magazine. They're already established the process. You know, they're moving. Of course they are. Their lease up well, I, I, I don't understand why Eric Adams and Kathy Hochul are doing such a great job. I, I don't understand why people are leaving and, and companies and all this stuff. But on a serious note, you've got a huge event coming up tomorrow night in our neighborhood at the uh, Bell Harbor Yacht Club. I know uh, Joe's there and your brother Michael and your sister-in-law Donna. Talk about that big event tomorrow night and what Queens people can do uh, to ensure you get the win come November. Yeah, you know, John Katsimatidis talks about it all the time. These New York State Senate, New York State Assembly seats are critical to changing the laws and policies of a state. You know, this community, this whole area is 100% the Lee Zeldin. That's great. We're going to get him in there. But these these local Senate and, and Assembly races like mine are critical. You have to get out and vote if you want to see change locally. They always have that term. All politics is local. Uh, you got to get out. And you got to get out. Listen, I'm, I'm running a nonpartisan campaign here. Uh, I, I appeal, as you know, Dove Hyken, right? Uh, a lifelong Democrat. 
He, he just wants to see positive change. And that's what the campaign is about. I'm not here to, to beat up on anybody personally. There are a lot of good people in politics, and there's a few that just get all the, the airtime. So um, it's going to be a great night. I was actually up late thinking about it, uh, what to say. And I usually don't have a uh, – I'm usually a pretty serious guy, right? Right. So I'm, gonna, I'm trying to figure out a way to add levity to the uh, – I'll tell you what you do. The, uh, you walk out in front of the whole audience naked. <laughs> <laughs> That'll go over real well. <laughs> You're in great shape. You're a service guy. All that good stuff. So I think the folks are really enjoying it. Hey, listen, uh, I'm very happy for all that's going on. The Dove Hiking endorsement, the Peter King endorsement, your big event coming up tomorrow night. You are going to win in November. I'm going to make sure of it. Folks, make sure you vote Thomas Sullivan, a real American hero in the District 23. Yeah, look out for the 10 for Tom campaign. 10 phone calls, 10 Facebook posts. Ten emails, whatever you can do, ten, knock on ten doors. That's what we need, folks. There you give it. The 10 for Tom campaign. Look out for that. Uh, Tom Sullivan, is always, excellent job. You're a great American. I love you, your whole family, by the way. Thanks for stopping by today, and good luck tomorrow night. Thank you. God bless America. You're the man. Tom Sullivan, right here on the Bernie and Sid Show, 1-800-848-WABC, one 800 848 9222. Still to come this hour, Bill O'Reilly's morning message. And then, oh, this guy is spectacular politician, broadcaster, entertaining as a day is long, Nigel Farage. All that coming up this hour, only right here on Bernie and Sid with some more Crash Test Dummies. Bill O'Reilly here, and I'm warming up. Stand by for the O'Reilly Update Morning Edition. On this Wednesday, getting older provides new insights and frustrations as your body and mind adjust to deterioration. It happens to everyone. Males physically peak at age 19. Females in their 30s. Staying out of wine. Now, I was never a patient guy, but I'm worse today. I don't cut people enough slack. I see something dubious, and I say something. That is not the way to popularity. The big problem is I know too much. I've been around. I understand what is good, mediocre, and bad. Again, that is not a formula for good social relations. Let's take the recent 60 Minutes interview with President Biden. Scott Pelley talked with him, but the chat was soft, with Pelley saying, I wonder a lot. Mike Wallace, whom I knew well, never wondered. He knew, and he asked tough questions on 60 Minutes. Pelley didn't even address Hunter Biden or the border situation. It was incredible. And I know that 60 Minutes did that intentionally. But why? That I don't know. Many baby boomers now ride around in golf carts and eat dinner at 4.30. Sleep, 9 p.m. They sometimes watch singing shows. They are largely content. Not me. 
I'm thinking about Scott Pelley. That is the morning O'Reilly update. More analysis later on. Bernard McGurk. Unacceptable is throwing your beer can on the subway tracks. <laughs> Sid Rosenberg. I don't believe it's a three-man race. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Casey Kasem dedication to Macedonia, Phil. Now, Phil, this is a great song, Earth, Wind, and Fire. What is the significance of September 21 for the listeners out there? It's it's said in the song? What do they say in the song, exactly? Do you remember the 21st night of September? Remember that? I I do remember. Well, I didn't remember it because it's going to be tonight. Right. I don't remember last year's. Well, this is you just you just ran in. You're like, you have to play that song today, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I didn't run. I just told you, hey. What made you think about that? I'm just curious. I just remembered. You just thought about the, it. Yeah, the 21st you know. night of September. I just what remember. do you think about uh, Kyrie Irving, the player on the Brooklyn Nets? He's a real douche, but uh, that's about as much as I'll curse today. But uh, he uh, <laughs> he uh, makes a decent point. This uh, idiot, Eric Adams, has now decided that there is no longer a private vaccine mandate. There remains a public vaccine mandate. So the point is, Kyrie Irving who does really something nonsensical for a living. He plays basketball. We all love basketball. We love the Knicks. We love the Nets. It's nonsense. you got a bunch of morons making billions of dollars. Got to barely complete a sentence, and they're multimillionaires. Uh, but they, uh, they don't have to wear a mask. And yet the city employees, fired by the hundreds, if not thousands, still are under this vaccine mandate. So Kyrie Irving... Not exactly the front of the line at your next Mensa meeting is making a, a lot of sense right here, Phil. No? Yeah, and he's you know kind of taking the stance of why me, a, a basketball player, a guy who, who doesn't have like a, a necessity of a job, right. why do I not have to get the vaccine? But yet, like all these city workers are, are he's looking for justice, is what he's, what he's uh, saying in the tweet. Justice. Let's hear what uh, Eric Adams has to say about this ending the vaccine for the private sector. But um, here he goes again. He leaves the T out in a specific word. It's the second time he's done this in a couple of weeks, I guess, in his explanation of why to keep this going in the public sector. This is Eric Adams, number 18. We're in a steady phase of pivot and shift. What? We do things. We roll things out slowly right now. That is not on the radar for us. Yeah, It's not, huh? So you want to keep... The public people, but why? What's the science? Even Joe Biden said to speak at the U.N. Assembly today. Even Joe Biden said on 60 Minutes in that terrible interview with Scott Pelley on Sunday night, the pandemic is over. Watch me. Huh? What's that? Watch me. I'd rather not. Thank you. 
You know who's really a dummy, too, is uh, Hakeem Jeffries. You know who this guy is? He's a, a local politician. He's the guy that um, started singing the uh, lyrics to Hypnotize by Biggie Smalls one day in Congress. I swear to God. He had, he had like a lifetime post, a life-size poster of Big E and started singing Hypnotize. Cool. Yeah. He wanted to make like a street named after him or a day named after him. It was some nonsense. This guy is so stupid. He hurts my feelings. Hakeem Jeffries. <laughs> I'll meet you down at Hakeem Way. Yeah. So now he's talking about um, Abbott and DeSantis. And it wasn't bad enough for Governor Newsom out in California to talk about kidnapping now, Akeem Jeffries has gone to human traffickers. I swear to you, this is Akeem Jeffries, cut number 19. The behavior of individuals like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott is radical, reckless, regressive, and reprehensible. They should start behaving like governors and stop behaving like human traffickers. They are putting politics over people in the most egregious way possible. Most egregious way possible. He keeps going. He goes on to talk about xenophobia, all these other issues. This is Hakeem Jeffries, number 20. It was my understanding that these are individuals who claim to oppose everything that the Venezuelan government stands for at this particular point in time. But that doesn't matter to individuals like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott because they peddle in hatred and xenophobia and trying to exploit the fears of the American people, and that's incredibly irresponsible. Well, there you have it. Akeem Jeffries, those are his thoughts. He's not alone. He's a 1,000% wrong, by the way, a 1,000% wrong. But uh, those are his thoughts on the DeSantis and Abbott decisions to send the migrants all over the country, including Martha's Vineyard. Bernard McGurk. Bernard has been a friend of mine for so long. And Sid, you too. Sid Rosenberg. Not good, great. Bernie and Sid in the morning. I love you guys. I listen to you every morning and walk around the house laughing my butt off. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Morrissey, right? From the Smiths? Smiths. We tell you about Nigel Farage. Love this guy, British broadcaster, former politician. He was a leader of the UK Independence Party twice. He was a leader of the Brexit Party. He was a member of the European Parliament. He has his own uh, radio show, TV show. I mean, this guy is amazing. But I'll tell you when I fell in love with Nigel. I don't really know much about him. I am watching a Donald Trump rally right before the election with Biden, in Seattle, of all places. And Nigel comes up there on the stage and starts speaking on behalf of uh, the Republicans and Trump and the whole thing. And I thought he was not good, magnificent. For days, I was like, Bernie, did you see Nigel? Did you see Nigel? Fell in love with the guy. And with that said, here he is right now, making his debut on the Bernie and Sid in the morning show, the great... Nigel Farage. Nigel, Sid, back in New York. How are you, pal? Well, what a lovely introduction, and good morning to you, and good morning, everybody. I'm very well indeed. We've just been through the most extraordinary two weeks here in London, 
and the UK. And I, I sort of think now that normal life has returned, but there are things that happened on that funeral day in London that I'm never going to forget mm. as long as I live. Well, let's get to that. Nigel Farage, again, the funeral for Queen Elizabeth was Monday. She uh, led, ruled, governed for the better part of 70-plus years, 15 different uh, prime ministers. It was an amazing run. And now her son, King Charles, is in charge. Before we get to the actual funeral stuff, Nigel, what are your thoughts on Charles being the King of England? Well, Charles and I have had our difficulties in the past. <laughs> uh, we, um, there, was a, there was a day about 15 years ago, he came to the European Parliament to tell us that basically... Um, if we bought big motor cars, uh, the end of the world would come because of climate change. Right. That carbon dioxide, which I understood without which plants can't grow, but he told, me, uh, he told us that carbon dioxide was a pollutant um, and that the European Union and that the globalists must have more power. So they all gave him a big standing ovation, and I sat there with my arms crossed. So this was our first sort of public confrontation. And then <laughs> the next time I saw him, ahead of a speech, he said, oh, Nigel, um, I think you're going to hate this speech. And we laughed. So, look, he's got his own private views. But here's the important thing. He is a nice man. He is a decent man. He wants to do this job and do it well. He's got a very tough act to follow with his mother. The point about monarchy is that monarchy rises above politics. Monarchy doesn't do campaigns. Monarchy is there to bring the country together, regardless whether you're left-wing or right-wing or of no opinion at all. And that was what Queen Elizabeth did for 70 years. She brought the country together. And Charles gave a king's speech addressed to the nation, a very emotional, slightly tearful speech. You know, his mother had just died, after all. And he said that the causes that he championed would now be left to others, that he would govern in that same neutral manner as his mother. And if he does that, I tell you what, he's got a whole heap of goodwill behind him. And I think, I genuinely think, he's going to do a very, very good job. And I hope he does, not just for the United Kingdom, not just for Canada and Australia and all those countries where he's king as well. But here's the really important bit. He is head of the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth of Nations, 55 countries, 2.5 billion people. They speak English. They have common law. They have a hell of a lot in common with us. And if we can keep that Commonwealth strong, keep the idea of democracy, liberty, free speech, keep those things strong, we are going to be a very, very important force together with America against China dominating the world. So King Charles and the New York Times could write all their horrible, vile rubbish about the royal family and yeah. about the United Kingdom. But actually, he's got a very important job for all of us. Well, Nigel, who will be better at their new job? Because, again, it has been a very hectic couple of weeks in the U.K. I mean, uh, less than a month ago, it was the 25-year commemoration of the tragic death of Princess Diana. Then Liz Truss comes into power. Who will be better at their new job? Charles as the king or Truss as the prime minister? Well, if you put me up against the wall and ask me to make that choice. I am. Um, <laughs> I think Char Charles will be good at his job. As for Liz Truss, well, I tell you what, she has supported every fashionable liberal cause throughout her entire career. But, and here's the point, in the last few months, she started talking common sense. 
she started talking about reducing taxes, about reducing the size of the state, about giving men and women the opportunity to set up their businesses, to thrive, to get regulation off their backs. She's been sounding like a modern-day Reaganite Thatcherite. Now, here's the thing. Has she said that just to get the top job, or does she really mean it? In the interest of my country, I want her to succeed. So right now, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt, mm. wish her enormous courage, because we have the same deep state. Yeah. We, we've got the same thing in London that you've got in D.C. If she's going to carry out these reforms, she's going to have to be very, very gutsy, very, very brave. So, look, I've got my fingers crossed for her, but I have been very disappointed by wow. many conservative leaders over the years. Yeah, you know what's uh, interesting is that we were under the impression here that she was exactly the opposite of who you just described. That, in fact, you know, Boris Johnson, who just left, she was more like him. But then again, Bojo was out there, Nigel. He was trumpeting Trump's horn. I love Donald Trump. And the day Joe Biden took over, he started salivating over Biden. I understand he's a world leader. He almost has to do that. But I thought Boris Johnson took it a bit too far. What about you? Well, well, Boris Johnson is very entertaining. He's very good fun. You know, he plays the buffoon. He plays the fool. He makes people <laughs> laugh, uh, you know, which is fine. I mean, it's a world that needs a bit more laughter, for goodness sake. But, but here's the point about Boris. He was elected as a conservative. He governed as a liberal. That's right. He let us, he let us down terribly. And into the bargain, he told lies. And now someone said to me, well, if people lost their jobs in Washington, D.C. for lying, there'd be no one left. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can't be a British prime minister and not tell the truth. You don't get away with it. Maybe we're a bit old fashioned on this side of the pond. In fact, in many ways, I hope we are. So Bojo was a total letdown when it came to policy. Truss was a liberal, but says in her 40s, she's now become a conservative. As I say, I think it's important in life to take people at what they say and to give them a chance, not to damn them before they've even begun. And literally, she was in the middle of making her first big speech as prime minister about energy policy, where we're in terrible trouble. And it was in the middle of that speech that a piece of paper was brought into the House of Commons, which said on it, Operation London Bridge. And that was the code name for what was to happen if the Queen was to die. Wow. How about that? Nigel Farage, the great Nigel Farage, politician, broadcaster. He does everything well. Uh, there were some stories that did emanate from the funeral. You were about to tell me some of those. I know one has Meghan Markle wanting to have a one-on-one -on -one sit-down with the King himself, with King Charles. What else happened that day, Nigel, that we care about here in America? Well, I mean, I, I think you should care less and less about Meghan Markle. Um, <laughs> she, she um, I mean, she gave that interview with Oprah Winfrey. There was virtually nothing she said in the interview that stood the truth test. She's clearly using this position uh, to try and make as much money as she can. And the only way she can make money is by ter telling horrible stories about the royal family. I don't believe any of them. And think about this. The last two years of the Queen's life were made a misery by Harry and Meghan. I have got no time for those people at all. What I will tell you is that I stood and I broadcast from outside Buckingham Palace all day that day. I watched the incredible procession come past, the biggest procession in London, the first state funeral in London 
since the great Sir Winston Churchill in 1965. I watched all of this. I then saw the coffin on the gun carriage with her crown on top being pulled on ropes by young sailors from the Royal Navy through London. It passed within, oh, 15, 20 feet of me. And behind that, walking for what seemed forever, Prince Charles, King Charles, as he now is, and the rest of the royal family. Just think how brave that is. And imagine you've lost a parent, you've lost a grandparent, you're grieving, and you've got to walk through the streets of London with four billion people watching you worldwide. Wow. The, biggest te- the biggest television audience in the history of mankind, 60% of the world's population watched that funeral. And he had to do that. He had to conceal his private grief and show the dignity that we expect of a king. We actually ask a lot of our royal family, and they've always delivered. Nigel Farage, you know, I played some audio the day after the Queen died, I didn't even know it existed, of Queen Elizabeth, God rest her soul, toasting to President Trump and his beautiful wife, Melania. And she was, I got to tell you, Nigel, she wasn't just doing her duty as, you know, the Queen. She was, like, really enthusiastic in talking about Donald Trump. And I got the feeling that she really, really liked Donald Trump. I know you love Donald Trump. How great would it be for America to get him back in 2024? Well, I agree. And I'm going to let you into a little secret, all right? When Donald Trump came for the official state visit in 2018, he went to Buckingham Palace. He and the Queen inspected the guard, the soldiers. They then sat down for tea. That tea conversation was supposed to last 20 minutes to 30 minutes. In fact, it lasted over an hour. Wow. And, that's, and that said to me, the Queen was interested in what Donald Trump had to say. She wanted to learn what Donald Trump was really all about. Anyway, <clears throat> about two hours later, my cell phone rang. I picked it up. There was a familiar voice on the other end. Of the <laughs> <laughs> it was terrific. It was, hey, Nigel. <laughs> I knew immediately it was the Donald. <laughs> and he told me about meeting the Queen. I already knew that his mother, who'd come from Scotland, was a great admirer of the very young Queen Elizabeth as she was in the early 1950s. And, and he was, I tell you what, I thought to myself, the two most famous people in the world have met together for tea. And here's Donald Trump ringing me up with the excitement, mixed with reverence too, for the Queen. He was like an excited teenager. I think for Donald Trump, it was one of the biggest kicks of his life to meet the Queen of England, um, and I think they got on incredibly well. I really, really do. And it's about leadership. Why do people love her? Why? Why? I've, never, I've never seen so many millions of people in London. Why were people there? And with tears in their eyes. I know you Americans think the Brits are all very buttoned up. Yeah. But actually, we yeah. were quite emotional, very emotional. Loosen up a bit, Nigel. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but i tell you why. Because she was a leader a leader of values. And what she tried to teach us during her lifetime is duty, service, patriotism, Christianity, and the fact that it underpins everything we believe in, and that good things in life, good deeds in life, mean you put other people before yourselves. These are the values of leadership. These are the values that Queen Elizabeth represented throughout the entirety of her life. And these are views considered by the liberal elite now to be unfashionable, to be out of date. Well, I tell you what, 
In the last two weeks in my country, we began to rediscover and re-understand why these things matter, why these things made the UK, America, in succession, the greatest countries in the world. And we have to rediscover those values. We have to rediscover those roots. And it ain't going to happen under Joe Biden oh, and God. Democrats. Well said. It, my it God. Isn't happen. And, I, yeah. and, I, you know, and I think, look, you know, Trump, not everyone likes his New York style. And, you know, New Yorkers are pretty plain spoken and all that. Not everyone likes his style. But when it comes to the really big stuff, when it comes to understanding the threat posed by China, or as he would say, China. China. Um, when it, <laughs> I love it when he does that. <laughs> when it comes to that, when it comes to understanding the Judeo-Christian culture, we can be tolerant of everybody, but Judeo-Christian culture is what underpins everything we've built and achieved. And when it came to turning America from being a persistent warmonger into a peacemaker, I think this man represents incredibly good values. And I think not just America, but the whole of the free world needs that kind of moral courage and leadership. Oh, my God, that was so well said. I could not agree more. I hope Donald Trump was listening. He usually does. Nigel, down to the last 60 seconds, my firstborn, my daughter Ava, was uh, going to go to London to go to college. At the very last second, she decided to go to Cardiff in Wales. Her and my beautiful wife, Danielle, leave this Friday morning. She starts her collegiate career in Wales. What is your advice for my daughter, Ava? I know you know that place very, very well. I do. Well, Cardiff is a wonderful old ancient city, but it's got its, it's, got its modern bits too. Uh, she's going to have a great time. The Welsh people are terrific. They're very, very nice. They're very, very sociable. So you have to tell her just to be slightly careful when it comes to people pouring drinks, because, of course, the, the drinking right. age is different, <laughs> is different over here. So, so she needs to just be a bit careful about that. She's going to have a fantastic time, I'm confident. Cardiff is a great, great city. Nigel, you need to keep coming back here. Like I said, uh, we fell in love with you here on this show years ago. We thought you were magnificent at that rally to have you on this morning. is a very, very big deal, especially with all the uh, stuff you guys are going through there in the U.K. with the Queen and King Charles. You were outstanding this morning, Nigel. Thank you so much. Let's do it again soon, buddy. Thank you. It's been a very great pleasure. Thank you. Me too. Nigel Farage right there making his debut on the Bernie and Sid in the morning show. It's quite an hour. Thomas Sullivan running for assembly in District 23. Bill O'Reilly's morning message. And then live across the pond with Nigel Farage. Coming up next hour, Lydia reports. Oh, and the great congressman Peter King. This, folks, is why Bernie and Sid is number one. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So as Bernie would say, the imbecile in chief, the White House, President Joe Biden set to address the U.N. today. Ironically, this goes on as Vladimir Putin is now threatening nukes. 
He warns that his nuclear threat is, quote, not a bluff. Vladimir Putin coming off real weak these last couple of months. That was supposed to be over in Ukraine quickly and uh, not the case. Ukraine has regained a bunch of territory. Now Putin has sent a lot more folks there. He's ordered partial military mobilization amid a string of losses. Now he's warning about using nukes. And who's going to speak today at the U.N. Assembly? Who is the man in the strongest position in the world? The weak, feeble, lying, dementia-riddled Joe Biden. It's got to make you feel good, right? Same day you find out that Putin's saying, I'm going to nuke those bastards. I'm going to nuke them. And um, Joe Biden is going to speak basically on behalf of the world today at the U.N., I sit down with our NATO allies and keep them together. I don't have them saying, wait a minute, how old are you? What do you they say? What? Let's I sit down one. with yeah. our NATO yeah. allies and keep them together. I don't have them saying, wait a minute, how old are you? What do you want to say? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that makes me feel better now. Now we're in good hands. <laughs> he's going to talk to the United Nations. Ay, <laughs> So he's uh, talking today. It's going to be a big deal. That's great. Huge. All right, everybody with cars, uh, stay where you are. President's got to give his gibberish. He just spoke to uh, 60 Minutes Scott Pelley, CBS, on Sunday night. Most people, including Bill O'Reilly, are taking Pelley to task for it. There was no mention, of course, of the border crisis. And uh, or inflation, or, or there was inflation, excuse me, other major issues they left out. But you do remember that during that uh, little interview on Sunday night with 60 Minutes, Joe Biden proclaimed the pandemic is over. As if he took a nap about, oh, I don't know, nine months ago, and he just woke up. The pandemic has been over for a long time, Jack. But he made that strong announcement on 60 Minutes, on CBS, on Sunday night. Pathway. Yeah, so this is moron who just said Pathway, by the way. The mayor, Eric Adams, if he agrees with Biden that the pandemic is over, and uh, much like Joe Biden, good luck in interpreting this answer. Eric Adams, number 16. I'd just like to ask if you agree with the president. He said over the weekend that he believes the pandemic is over, and like to get your take on that? Uh, I believe that, as I stated, um, the most um, challenging parts of the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, I believe that uh, we were at some scary moments and we uh, passed through them. And in order to stay ahead of COVID, which has been extremely formidable, it has pivoted and shifted uh, so many times. <laughs> in order to stay ahead of it, we have to be smart and we must uh, have a strategic plan of moving forward, and that's what Dr. Fasan and his team, um, they have done. And, you know, there's, there were many scary moment, moments that many of you are not aware of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're sitting here now right. yeah. is because we made those tough decisions, those right. nail-biting right. decisions. Idiotic. So, and, uh, uh, shut up, God, we, I'm begging you, be quiet. So, <laughs> is the pando- pandemic over, yes or no? What kind of answer was that? He couldn't even do it in the past tense, pivoted and shifted. I know, I know. It's so bad. It's so embarrassing. Is the pandemic over? And that he just went on and on and on 
and on and said absolutely nothing. <laughs> All he had to do was say, yes, the pandemic is over, or no, it's not over. But, of course, he has to continue to maintain his decision to keep this uh, vaccine mandate going for the public sector, which is absolutely ridiculous. Even Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving has an issue with Eric Adams these days. So once again, Eric Adams has decided to end the vaccine mandate for the private sector. Kyrie can play basketball, but the public sector with thousands of folks, hardworking, important folks, got fired that hasn't changed. Here is, um, once again, Eric Adams, number 18. We're in a steady phase of pivot and shift. We do things, we roll things out slowly. Right now, that is not on the radar for us. What was that? Did he actually answer the question there? We're in a steady phase of pivot and shift. We oh. do things, we roll things out slowly. Right yeah. now, that is not on the radar for us. I got us. it now. Okay, thank you, Eric. Yeah. Shift. Let's go to uh, Ron DeSantis. He had a big press conference down in Florida yesterday. And he's still, of course, he's still out there defending himself for sending all those migrants to Martha's Vineyard. And I'm on record on Fox News with Brian Kilmeade calling both the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, and the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, real American heroes. And I still mean that. I don't care what Eric Adams or Lori Lightfoot or Bowser or Governor Newsom or Kathy Hochul or any of these idiots have to say. DeSantis and Abbott are heroes because they've turned it on them, right? You sanctuary cities, you want the borders wide open, you want everybody to come. Well, guess what? We're not going to shoulder your load. It ain't going to be about a couple of states. You take them. You take them, Eric Adams. So yesterday he started talking about the actual Martha's Vineyard stuff where they're really raking DeSantis over the coals. And by the way, they can go to a heck of a lot worse places than Martha's Vineyard. Wouldn't you agree there, Lewis? I would say you could pivot a shift to another island. Well said. Here is our Ron DeSantis, (laughs) number nine, talking about how the Dems only get upset when these migrants end up in Martha's Vineyard. The only thing I hear them getting upset about is you have 50 that end up in Martha's Vineyard. Then they get really upset. And I'm sorry. Those migrants were being treated horribly by Biden. They were hungry, homeless. They had no no opportunity at all. The state of Florida, it was volunteer, offered transport to sanctuary jurisdictions because it's our view that, one, the border should be secured. And we want to have Biden reinstitute policies like remain in Mexico and making sure that people aren't overwhelming. But short of that, if you believe in open borders, then it's the sanctuary jurisdictions that should have to bear the brunt of the open borders. So that's what we're doing. DeSantis made a point yesterday, which I made to Miranda Devine on this show. Nine o'clock yesterday morning, I said, Miranda, isn't it interesting how all these mayors, including Eric, are complaining about 80 migrants coming into Port Authority? Texas gets 8,000 a day. But when the secret flights, which Joe Biden and his administration set up, were landing at airports in Westchester, Stewart Airport, and all these migrants were arriving in the middle of the night in complete secrecy. Anybody remember Eric Adams complaining then? I don't. Here's Ron DeSantis, number eight. 
So when Biden is flying these people all over the fruited plain in the middle of the night, I didn't hear a peep out of those people, okay? I didn't hear a peep. I haven't heard a peep about all the people that have been told by Biden you can just come in and they're going, they're being abused by the cartels, they're drowning in the Rio Grande. You had 50 that died in some shed in Texas. I heard no outrage about any of that. Uh, I haven't heard outrage about all the fentanyl that's come across the border that's killing Americans in record numbers. I don't hear, I don't hear outrage about the criminal aliens that have gotten through and have then victimized people, not only in Florida, but all throughout the country. I didn't hear any outrage about that. Of course not. No outrage. In fact, if anything else, they're still blaming you, Ron DeSantis, calling you cruel, blaming Donald Trump, who last I checked was building a wall, had to remain in Mexico policy, and we did not have nearly, nearly the calamity we've got right now at the border, not even close, for four years. Yet, this administration, and specifically the White House press secretary, another Mensa, Corinne Jean-Pierre, she spoke about the migrant crisis yesterday. First, she takes a shot at DeSantis. This is Pierre Lewis, number seven. So the way that we see it is alerting Fox News uh, and not city or state officials about a plan to abandon children fleeing communism on the side of the street is not burden sharing. That is not the definition that we see of burden sharing. It is a cruel, premeditated political stunt. That is not what they're, that is what they are doing. Uh, and so we're always, we're always happy to have conversations about ways to further improve border processing, and we could be doing more if, again, if Republicans in Congress would stop blocking our efforts to pass comprehensive uh, immigration reform. And, of course, it would not be a day at the White House without KJP blaming Donald Trump for something he didn't do like this migrant crisis. Here is Corrine Jean-Pierre, number five. Look, the system is broken, and we know that. It was decimated by the last uh, administration. No, it wasn't. And what we're trying to do is, is fix something That's a lie. that has had decades and decades of uh, deterioration when you look at the system. So what we're asking is we're asking to really fix it in a, in a way that is transformative. And to do that, it is really Congress acting. And we're asking Republicans, hey, instead of playing political games, why don't you join us in trying to uh, fix a real problem? problem that's happening at the border. So forget about Sid Rosenberg, Bernie McGurk, Peter King, Bill O'Reilly, Rudy Giuliani being the voice of reason. What if I told you Charlemagne the God, big time liberal, big time BLM supporter, a host on what is it? Power 105 has his own show on Comedy Central. Even Charlemagne the God called out Democrats yesterday in a big way, saying exactly what I say almost every day. Here it is, Lewis. Cut number 21. For months, Republican governors have sent busloads of illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities like New York, D.C., and Chicago with the message of, if you like them so much, they're yours, okay? Well, just in time for Hispanic Heritage Month, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis upped the game by sending two plane folds of immigrants to the East Coast elite's favorite vacation island, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. I personally think it's genius. 
Yeah. Damn right. But I wish that governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott would give Democratic governors and mayors more of a heads up because then that would expose the hypocrisy of the Democrats, which is they don't want immigrants here either. See that? That would expose the hypocrisy of the Democrats, which is they don't want illegal immigrants here either. The genius that is Charlemagne the God. Unreal. Lydia reports coming up next. Lydia Serrani. The great Congressman Peter King coming up at 840. Governor Pataki finally endorsed Lee Zeldin yesterday. He may join us in the 9 o'clock hour. Also 940, Beat Sid, your chance at cash and prizes. Thanks to the generosity of Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. All that is coming up along with Lou Dobbs' business report on this, the Wednesday edition of the Nielsen-rated number one news talk show in New York City. We are Bernie and Sid. This is the 77 WABC Lou Dobbs Financial Report. The Federal Reserve will announce its expected rate hike at the conclusion of today's September meetings. The markets reacted poorly to the prospects of a third straight 75 basis point rate hike yesterday. Fed Chair Jerome Powell and others haven't backed down from their hawkish stance on soaring inflation. CVS and Walmart have agreed to pay $147 million to the state of West Virginia, another opiate-related settlement for the pharmacy giants, both stocks slightly lower in extended trading. Hertz Rental is buying 175,000 electric vehicles from General Motors, the first of many zero-emission rental deals for GM. The car maker looking to ease the pressure of its EV sales targets in the Tesla-dominated market. Hertz, meanwhile, targeting a quarter of its fleet to be electric by the end of 2024. Last year, Hertz agreed to buy 100,000 Tesla EVs. Please join me several times each weekday right here on 77 WABC. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Keep listening for more to 77 WABC for the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. This is Lydia Reports on 77 WABC. Here's Lydia Serrani. Sid, Don Lemon got owned. He was uh, doing his uh, morning sh- I love it. He's such a fool. Uh. It was really good. He was interviewing this royal historian, and then he brings up the question about reparations for black people due to colonialism. And he's like, you know what? The Brits, they have billions and billions of dollars made off the backs of African slaves. He didn't say it exactly like that, but basically. And then he said, should they be owed reparations? Take a listen to hear what the royal historian had to say. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say, who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages? Absolutely, that's where they should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died at the, in the high seas trying to stop the slavery, that those families should receive something too, I think, at the same time. It's an interesting discussion, Hillary. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, that was, was great. silent. <laughs> you know, it's about time somebody put Don Lemon in his place. You know, fool is one thing. No, that's fine. You know, the guy's not that smart. He's actually smart, Don Lemon. But he's a racist. Him, Joy Reid, yeah. all of these folks on television. And I know that some African-American people will say to you, no, it's not possible. Only whites could be racist. That is ridiculous. LeBron James, for example, he's a racist. So is Don Lemon. That was awesome yesterday. No need for Viagra. Just play that tape. 
Well, Don Lemon, I don't even think he is racist. He always goes for oh, no, white no. guys. His partner is no, no, a no, white no. guy. No, no, no. Don't, don't be confused. I, I there's, a lot of black, there's, there's a lot of black guys who are attracted to white females who are still racist. Trust me. That that's true too, but I, I yes, of course. But I think he's race baiting, and then for her to give it back to him and say, "Hey, if you want to go back to reparations, go back to the beginning with the African kings." And she also mentioned about the two thousand British sailors that fought the high seas to try to help free the slaves and all that. And she she was just so on point, and the look on his face was like, uh, 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 <laughs> "I don't even know what to say." It was it was beautiful because yeah. she's like, "Yeah, I agree with you. There should be reparations. There should be." So while we're uh, I guess talking about people that should say I'm sorry. Did you see Adam Levine? I wanted to bring this up because I've interviewed Adam Levine. Adam Levine is that famous rock star front man from Maroon 5. He's being accused of cheating on his gorgeous supermodel wife who is pregnant again with his child. Instagram model came forward saying, yeah, yeah. So the reason I'm bringing it up is a couple years ago, I was interviewing him and Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley for a movie during a junket, you know, and I was an, I'm not an entertainment reporter, but the entertainment reporter is at six. So they're like, Lydia, we want you to go. And I was like, Oh my God. So I have a huge crush on Mark Ruffalo. So while the reporters were standing waiting to go in, uh, cause you're like kind of like in a waiting room, uh, Adam Levine comes out and I'm just like, Oh my God. And he comes right next and he starts talking to me and Uh-oh. he's like leaning. And I was like, I'm thinking to myself, I was like, is he flirt? I mean, he's uh-huh. gorgeous. So I was like, he can't be flirting with me. Gorgeous. He has a supermodel wife. Yes. Like this is, doesn't even make any sense. So I don't think that like he was like trying to get with me or anything, but he wants that attention. And then even when I was doing the interview, I started getting flustered over Mark Ruffalo. You know, Mark Ruffalo is the guy that was the Hulk. Yeah. And something about him is so cute to me. I've told my husband he's my crutch. <laughs> oh, there's the music. I got to wrap it up. Uh, by he's the way, I did, I, did, I did watch the other uh, voice last night without Adam Levine. He used to be on all the time. Him and Blake Shelton. You saw that really funny back and forth. Now it's John Legend, Blake Shelton. Gwen uh, Stefano and um, and um, what's the other one? Camilla Cabello, and it uh, it's terrible, terrible. Well, this is uh, Gavin Rossdale. That uh, this is my other crush. But anyway, I think Adam Levine just loves the attention. He was annoyed that I wasn't giving it to him, and instead Mark Ruffalo. So that's what I think it's all about. It's about his ego. Agreed. Not so much cheating on his wife. Cats at night, five o'clock. John Katzmatini's. You don't want to miss it. Lydia, great job. Follow Lydia on Twitter at Lydia News, Instagram. At Lydia News 1, and this is Gavin Rosdale Bush, and he was married to Gwen Stefani before she started sleeping with Blake Shelton. On the Red Apple Podcast Network.
Well, been a great show already. Thomas Sullivan running for Assembly District 23 in Queens joined us earlier. Nigel Farage, that was one of the best interviews you'll ever hear. He joined us at 740. The gubernatorial hope for this state, my dear, dear friend Lee Zeldin, will join us coming up at 905. But right now, he's on this Wednesday every time because he's not good, he's not great, he's the man. Former congressman for the better part of four decades out on Long Island, Homeland Security, and now a dear friend of the Rosenbergs, the great Peter King. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Shit. How you doing? Listen, I heard you talking about your daughter going away. Yeah. Uh, I had that situation in high school. My uh, son spent his senior year in Sweden and my daughter in Austria. And wow. I think Rosemary cried every day for that year. She did. Yeah, now, that was only yeah. one year. I mean, Ava's going to go away for three years. Like, Leslie's right. daughter never came back. So I face that real possibility. Either way, it's, it's exciting for Ava. It's exciting for me and Danielle. I'm sure it's exciting for you, Peter, you and Rosemary. But it's a little sad. It's tough. It's my little girl, you know. Different country. I mean, geez, Pete. No? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But, uh, I would say probably growing up with you, though, she's had a lot of world experience. <laughs> she's ready for it. You're right. You're right about that. So I sit here and I look outside these beautiful windows, as you've done many times in these studios, Peter, overlooking Third Avenue. It's a gorgeous day today. Really the nice last day until April, 80 and sunny. And I see, I don't know, no exaggeration, 30 motorcycles, 20 cop cars, there's a tent across the street with about 10 people sitting there smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee, about 20 policemen. These are the same people I've seen since about 4.15 a.m. on Monday morning. I know you're going to tell me differently, but, oh, my God, what a waste of manpower and money. No, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you more. This is absolutely essential. See, you have to realize that New York City every day is the largest terrorist target in the world. When you have 150 world leaders there, this has to be coordinated so that they are ready for any possible type of attack, whether it's a liquid explosive attack, whether it's a car bomb attack, whether it's a dirty bomb, whether it's a uh, operation carried out on one side of town uh, as a uh, decoy to another. You have to have cops ready at every location. This is planned days, weeks, months in advance. It's been done by Ray Kelly, by Bill Bratton. It's done in conjunction with the Secret Service, with the FBI, with Homeland Security, with the state police. One, if one thing goes wrong, for instance, I know it was, it was in September, I guess, of 2009, uh, you, we had a potential liquid explosive attack in New York, which could have killed hundreds, if not thousands, on the New York City subway system. That's just one example. We've had 20 other terrorist plots against New York that have been stopped. If any one of them gets through, think of the mass chaos, the loss of life that would cause. And to me, I don't know what the alternative is. If you're saying the cops shouldn't be there, they have to be ready on a moment's notice. And you say they're sitting around drinking coffee. They may be. God knows what they're doing at any particular time. The fact is they are ready to act. And they have sergeants, lieutenants, captains, inspectors, chiefs, all situated around the city. This is so well coordinated. It was done under Bratton, under Kelly, now under Keyshawn Sewell. It's done in coordination with so many different agencies. And the NYPD, they have intelligence uh, assets all around the world. They're the only uh, police department that has that. They're constantly getting rumors, constantly getting tips. Some some are true, some are phony. They don't know. They have to take them all seriously. And now uh, we have problems with Iran, with ISIS. And For instance, last year, and since then, you've been saying how terrible it was that uh, President Biden pulled out of Afghanistan 
and that has now created a terrorist haven. It's true. true. That's yeah. an added threat. Then we have terrorists coming across the border. All you need is four or five of them, and they could cause mass deaths, mass casualties in New York City. The cops have to be ready for everything. All these hotels where those people are staying, they have to be checked for explosives. They have to be checked to see who's working there, who's coming in and out. This is, I can tell you right now, there are people at police headquarters monitoring this by the second, trying to anticipate anything that could happen. So far, over the years, it's worked. But I'll tell you, the NYPD has stopped a lot of terrorist threats. They're the best at it, and they're doing it in conjunction with federal partners, international partners. We're in contact with countries overseas. It's what might be happening. But again, we have Iran. We have China to some extent. Certainly ISIS, Al-Qaeda. They're all there. And all you need is two or three uh, start-up yep. people on their own. Lone right. wolves. But homegrown. But yep. attack yep. can kill thousands of people in a matter of minutes. And it's not just... Uh, uh, anticipating, which they have to do, try to anticipate it, but also to be ready if something happens in one part of the city that the cops can be deployed there and they won't uh, leave other parts of the city vacant. They have to be on the lookout for hotel fires. All of this, all Jeez. of this is, requires such effort and planning. I got to tell you, that was a great answer. I mean, I'm kind of kidding around because the traffic sucks and Lewis complains they shut down the 42nd Street exit. He gets all aggravated, starts throwing stuff inside the studio, you know, and uh, all that stuff. But your answer is a great answer. I mean, all of us want safety first. There is no question New York is the top gun. There is no question that Joe Biden's administration has allowed all these terrorist groups to reform. Some say that it's every bit as bad as it was right before the attacks all the way back in 2001 before 9-11. So if any of that is true, even a smidgen of it, then what you're saying, Peter King, is a thousand percent right. Yeah, and believe me, it is, is true. Listen, we could never have, we probably would not have had another 9-11 attack of that type. However, the world has changed since then. There can be cyber attacks and uh, you don't have to fly planes into a building. You can bring five people into New York City with nuclear devices, with uh, uh, liquid explosives. I mean, think of all the subway entrances we have. Think of all the hotels. Think of, uh, again, all the shopping centers, all of the uh, stores. Well, you know, I don't want to give names out, but I mean, right, large right. stores. I mean, any one of them, you can kill hundreds, hundreds of people. And then when you have 150 world leaders in the country at the same time, that could be an international disaster. Yep, that's true. Hey, uh, talking about, though, people walking around with little nuclear devices, Vladimir Putin's getting his ass kicked, and uh, he's embarrassed himself mm-hmm. and Russia. Uh, the Ukraine people have done a tremendous job. They've regained territory. They've won some wars. Now Putin wants to put more of his soldiers there because he's getting beat so bad. And now the last two days, he's been saying, hey, I'll nuke him. I will use my nuclear weapons. I don't care what the West says, what anybody says. I'll nuke them. When Putin says that, how seriously, Peter King, as a former head of Homeland Security, how serious do you take that? We have to take it seriously. Uh, on the other hand, you can't give in to that type of blackmail because that's something that could be done anytime. He could say, if you don't do this, I'm going to use nuclear weapons. So the idea is to monitor it, to stare them down, and to also, you know, we have assets in the... Uh, in Russia, we have uh, diplomats, we have people who have contacts, try to find out how serious this is, what's, what's for real. To me, it sounds more like desperation than anything. I remember back in February and March when this started, uh, people like Joe Biden were o- offering a uh, free plane ride for uh, Zelensky to get him out of Ukraine. Because they figured this thing couldn't last more than a week or two. Now it's Russia that's on the, uh, you know, the edge of, of a uh, defeat here. So uh, the idea is to keep the pressure on him. Try not to push it, obviously, in, in, into a nuclear conflict. We used to realize 
that he can't win that if he starts that. In fact, nobody's going to win. But I don't, I don't think he's suicidal. I mean, he's these are you know this isn't ISIS or Al Qaeda where these people are willing to die for their cause. I think Putin is willing to let other people die for his cause. But I mean, he would have to realize that if he used nuclear weapons, then that that is it for him. I mean, that's uh, that's like all-out war on on the world, which no one wants. I mean, there's no winners in that. But he would definitely be the biggest loser. So I don't think he wants to do that. Peter, Lee Zeldin's about to join me coming up at 9.05. Another really ugly story for Kathy Hochul, this donor who scored $637 million when he got that uh, contract from uh, Kathy Hochul during the COVID days. She, uh, he gave her a ton of money, $300,000. She declared a state of emergency four days later. I mean, there is no doubt here this is a pay-and-play scheme. There is no doubt about it. How ugly do you think this story gets? And do you think eventually, will the lieutenant governor getting arrested, her crooked deal with the Buffalo Bill Stadium and her husband. Do you think eventually all these things will really come back and beat Kathy Hochul? Well, we have to make sure it, you know, that it gets out. I mean, other than the New York Post, almost nobody is reporting this. If this were Donald Trump, if this were Lee Zeldin, if this was Sid Rosenberg, it would be the front page of every paper. Yep. It would be the lead story on the evening news. There would be reporters chasing them down the street. They'd be going to their homes. They'd be taking... Uh, It'd be such an all-out offensive by the media. Instead, really, except for the Post, this is pretty much being silenced. That's why we got to get it out. Lee's got to raise the money, and that's that's really up to people who support him. Put their money where their mouth is. Small donations, every type, get it in there so he can get this out on television. He's got to get this on television. Lee is working hard. I've been at uh, events with him. He's absolutely dedicated to this. He's 24-7, but he can only do so much. Uh, He's living up to his end. If we keep you know, saying how terrible it is, the situation is terrible, then it's important for people to get out and vote, talk to their friends, talk to their neighbors, and if they can, send money in, because that's how you get the message out. I mean, every time I turn on the television, I see an ad from Hoko against yep. Ellen saying Lee is the worst human being who was ever born. <laughs> Meanwhile, here's a guy who's uh, you know, he was in, in, in the war, he's a paratrooper, he's been in the Army, he's been in the Congress, he's a state senator, he's got a beautiful wife, two wonderful kids, I mean, this is uh, this is the guy you want in office and an unblemished record and again, a great achievement. And we got to get behind him. But uh, again, if she keeps saturating the airwaves with these uh, phony ads, it's going to be tough for Lee. We've got to turn this narrative around. He's a great candidate, and he's going to get it done if we stay with him. He's a great guy, and you're right. They're lying about him and five cops being killed back on January 6th. That is a complete lie by Hochul in her last day. Now, Peter, you're a nice guy. You're a statesman. Yes, you were, of course, a Republican politician, but you worked well with both sides of the aisle, even found the way to work with John Stewart. I had no idea how you did that. Uh, <laughs> but on a serious note, there are some Democrats, even Charlemagne the God, that have come out today and said, hey, what Ron DeSantis did with those migrants to Martha's Vineyard and Governor Abbott sending them to New York and all over the country, that is genius. It's about time the Democrats were exposed for who they are. They don't want these illegal immigrants. Now you've got them. Now what? What do you think about all that? Yeah, and listen, you know, David Patterson put it. David Patterson not supporting this, but he's saying that this did highlight the issue. Now, what DeSantis is doing, what Abbott is doing, they're highlighting this issue and showing people this isn't just something you can put out of your mind and say, oh, you know, we have to be humane. We have to. The humanity is goes out the window when you have people coming into communities that can absorb them. The, everyone suffers. The people in those communities, the immigrants themselves. Listen, I saw it firsthand here in Long Island when we had MS-13 flourishing 
because uh, partly because of these immigration uh, uh, mistakes and failures, but you know, by in, in that case the Obama administration. Now we have it compounded by the Biden administration, and this just can't be allowed to go on. And so I think what they're doing is highlighting it. And I found the whole thing in Martha's Vineyard. Here they are; they're out there greeting the people. I'm wonderful it is to have you here. And the next day, the National Guard is shipping him to a uh, military base. I mean, right. this is uh, crazy. Know, listen, they they could have put all, all those immigrants in Obama's house. Right. Yeah, they have 50 of them coming in. God, you could make, you know, 50 uh, sublet apartments in his uh, <laughs> He's got a big place. I know these poor people are about to have lunch with, like, Larry David and Alan Dershowitz. which next thing you know, they're in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, let me ask you about China. I'm not sure if you heard the conversation. I had Gordon Chang on early, early yesterday morning, Peter. And he said to me, with, with zero hesitation, he said, Sid, sometime in the next five years, the United States will absolutely be at war with China. I'm like, really? He's like, yes. Your thoughts? Well, China is definitely a threat, and they are being more aggressive. But listen, if, if Biden follows through and stands with Taiwan, Let's the word get out that we're not going to abandon Taiwan. Listen, well, hold on. Were you, were you okay is, with that? Because Biden uh, received a lot of criticism for telling Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes mm-hmm. that if they go in there, China, we will help the Taiwanese people. He's not really supposed to do that. But Gordon Chang said, screw it. He did the right thing. You, you're okay with that, too? Yeah, I think he did the right thing. But they got to get a coordinated message. He can't be saying one thing in the morning and the State Department saying something in the afternoon. Or, you know, the White House, you know, the unnamed White House staffers. Uh, if he's saying it, then we got he's, he's got to make it consistent because otherwise China can see an ambiguity. They can feel. Wait a minute, Biden says this, but the administration is really not behind him. No, if if that's the, uh, the uh, policy, I think it should be. Then you have to make it clear. In the past, it's always been a strategic ambiguity, but you didn't have a situation of a president saying one thing and his administration saying something else. So I think they have to speak with one voice. And Taiwan, it's really, that's essential to Asia. Taiwan itself is important. But what that means as far as Japan, as far as South Korea, as far as even Singapore, you can get into different countries involved here. And also the economic uh, fact of all the you know, computer chips that come from Taiwan. Right. But more than that is that if China uh, establishes itself as a power in the Pacific, that really could be the beginning of the end for the United States if they end up controlling that part of the world, controlling wow. those, those straits. Did you hear on Nigel Farage in the 7 o'clock hour say that Charles, he believes, will be a terrific king and that uh, he will actually make things better between the United States and England in the near future? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I mean, I, again, I've had very few dealings with the royal family. I met Harry, I met Charles, and I met the Queen, uh, the Queen. But again, I'm talking about five-minute meetings. So, no, but from what I know, first of all, they've been extremely pro-American. In fact, Queen Elizabeth had the national anthem played on September 11th, or September 12th. Uh, I was with Prince Charles at the British Embassy just two or three days after bin Laden was killed, and to see, again, how he felt, his, uh, again, love for the United States. You know, we're not going to agree on everything, and I know that the king has limited powers, per se, but as we saw, they have extraordinary moral uh, authority. If it's used the right way, it can be very, very helpful. And I think they, more than anyone, the royal family realizes the close links they have to the United States and how it's important for both of them. And this goes back also to the prime ministers. I remember I did work closely with Tony Blair in the Irish peace process, and uh, people wonder why was he always so supportive of the United States? Part of it is self-interest. He realized, I was told it was not by him, but by his top foreign policy advisor, that any time something had to be done in Europe, there'd be a united effort by 15, 20 countries. But the United States did 95%. 
of the operations. He realized that Europe, despite this talk from some of them, you know, the U.S. is too big, the U.S. is too overbearing. Tony realized that for Britain to survive, it has to maintain a close relationship with the United States. I think the royal family, both for reasons of policy and also practicality, realize that they are linked with the United States. We are linked with them. And I'm saying this as an Irish guy who had a real problem with Ireland, <laughs> that's right, with that's uh, right. Britain's rule in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. They've come a long way. And yeah. the big picture, they, uh, we're essential to them. They're essential to us. And we are beacons of democracy. He also said that the Prime Minister Liz Truss has really been a uh, liberal her whole life. Only very recently, since replacing Boris Johnson, is she speaking like a conservative. So be careful when it comes to Liz Truss. On the way out, what a special summary here, Peter King. You're a New Yorker through and through. You love the history. You love sports. You love baseball. Here, our New York Mets, it's official, going back to the playoffs for the first time in six years. That is huge news. And how about this home run chase by Aaron Judge? How fun is this to watch? You know, this is phenomenal. I'm a Mets fan, but what Aaron Judge is doing is phenomenal. He's hitting 60 home runs. I don't think anybody in Major League Baseball has more than 40. Now, in the past, you know, we had these home run uh, challenges and this, uh, with the uh, uh, what's his name? Bonds and uh, McGuire. Right, well, the 1998 Sosa McGuire. Yeah, so we had guys weighing 150 pounds hitting 40 and 50 homers. Everybody was hitting home runs then. But now Aaron Judge is standing by himself. I mean, he's out there at 60 home runs. I think the next closest is 40. There's never been, I don't think, a disparity that big between a leader and the, and the runner-up. And he does it with class. I mean, last night I was going nuts. I was becoming schizophrenic. I'm going back and forth between the Mets and the Yankees. I mean, Lindor's hit the Grand Slam. Alonzo's hit the three run homer. And the next thing you know, uh, I mean, with uh, Judge hitting the 60th home run, that was almost overtaken by Stanton hitting the Grand Slam. Right. I mean, it was like, uh, this, is, this is New York baseball at its best. I go back to the days of the Dodgers and Yankees where they won every year. Unfortunately, the Yankees won the World Series more often. But that was it. Everybody was talking baseball. That's what it should be, and I give, again, uh, Steve Cohen credit. I give the Yankees credit, even though I never liked them over the years. The fact is the two teams are really right now showing what New York baseball can be and should be is all about. You're 100% right. Peter King is always not a good appearance, an amazing appearance. You're great. I love when you're here. I love when you're on. And most importantly, I love you. So thank you for this this morning, and you be well. You got it, said You too. Take care of yourself now. You're Bye. the best. There he is, Congressman Peter King. Another tremendous appearance. Long live the King. King Charles and Pete King. <laughs> Coming up next, he's the only hope to save our state. He must get your vote in November. Gubernatorial Republican candidate Lee Zeldin talks Kathy Hochul, New York State, and why he should get your vote come November. Bernie and Sid in the morning on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This mayor is calling for a dangerousness standard to be added so that judges who would be getting a case like this would have the discretion to weigh dangerousness in deciding whether or not this person who is swinging an axe and breaking walls and tables in here and even slapped one customer shouldn't just end up right back out on the street with the judge having no discretion. That is a crazy story about maniac at McDonald's wielding an axe. Boy, we've had such a great show already. Have we not? Tom Sullivan, 
voting for Assembly District 23 in Queens. Nigel Farage, live from England. Peter King. We're going to talk to Monica Crowley coming up at 925. The Fed is going to raise interest rates again today. Three-quarters of a point, their third consecutive hike in an effort to tame inflation. And for folks out there trying to buy and or sell homes, not great. We'll talk to Monica coming up at 925. But that voice right there you just heard is uh, Lee Zeldin. He is running for governor, Republican, the only hope we've got in this state. I talk to Lee almost every day. And I've gone to a bunch of Lee Zeldin events. I don't remember the last time I wanted someone to win as much as I want this guy to win. A, because he's a really super guy, and B, because we need the help. Here he is, I believe, live from the Capitol in Washington, D.C., my friend Lee Zeldin. Good morning, Lee. Good morning, Sid. It's great to be with you. Great to have you. Are you at the Capitol right now in D.C.? I'm down in Washington. We have votes today. Ah, very, very nice. Tell Scalise the Saints suck. The Buccaneers beat him. <laughs> I'll tell you what. He he loves you. Oh, that's so uh, cool. He, he has uh, brought you up on more than one occasion as we travel the capital. How cool is that? Steve Scalise in Louisiana, a big Sid Rosenberg fan. I love that. Well, I love you, Lee. And uh, you were talking yesterday about that axe-wielding maniac at McDonald's. Kathy Hochul comes out and says, no, no good, and even, even criticized the DA Alvin Bragg. But what did she not do? fire Alvin Bragg. So her criticism, quite frankly, Lee, comes off very, very soft. No doubt. And she should have done this already. When I was calling for Alvin Bragg to be fired previously, she was saying, he just got got there, comes some slack, he's doing his job. This person gets released back out on the street, and the judge in this case does not have discretion to weigh dangerousness to decide whether or not to keep him in. The next day, this guy is doing media interviews, where in the media interviews, he was talking about how he carries his hatchet around with him to confront drivers. Now, a judge still doesn't have discretion at that point after watching the interview to be able to weigh dangerousness. And I feel like, yeah, I mean, the, the governor mentioned how this person was undercharged. Yeah, I believe that he was undercharged. But even if he wasn't undercharged, the judge should still have discretion to weigh dangerousness. So uh, on the two main fronts here, Kathy Hochul is just refusing to to pull the trigger on what needs to get done to actually boldly lead this state. We need to re- repeal cashless bail. We need to fire Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. We need to support our men and women in law enforcement. And the list goes on and on and on of all the different things that she can be doing, but she's not because she wants to pander to pro-criminal allies. And I, I really feel like there's a price that should get paid at the polls November 8th, just 48 days away, because the rest of us, regardless of what party you are, it doesn't matter. As New Yorkers, we have to take our streets back. We have to take our state back. Exactly what I said to Brian Kilmeade on Fox News Saturday night. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. You want safe streets. You know, you want your kids to be okay. Those are values that we all do share. And uh, she's not getting it done. She also made this ridiculous announcement yesterday, Lee. And I'll tell you what's wrong with it. But after I play it. Here is Kathy Hochul. This is all about safety, the safety of our riders, and letting would-be criminals know that should you harm any other passenger in any way, you'll be observed, you'll be caught, and you'll be prosecuted. What part did she leave out? Yeah, you'll be observed, you'll be caught, 
you'll be prosecuted. She's talking about uh, cameras on trains. The part she left out was, and we'll let you go in 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. And you're assuming that the person's going to be prosecuted. I mean, you have to confront the reality right now that you have district attorneys who are refusing to enforce the law. She just doesn't want to actually call these people out. Now, the governor doesn't just have a constitutional authority to remove a DA who refuses to enforce the law. She has a constitutional duty. Now, you want to put these cameras up. Listen, I mean, there's still, as I mentioned, 48 days to go between now and the election. If she wants to get the cameras up now, I'm afraid that there might just be more footage for us to be using in campaign ads. <laughs> but I don't think that those stories are going to end where the person gets caught and prosecuted. And as you pointed out, you know, the, the reality is that they're not actually going to be overnight, days, pretrial confinement, time to think about what they did. No, instead, you're going to end up continuing to handcuffs. Handcuff our uh, our judges. Now, by the way, there's a there's also an issue with some judges being too lax. When we saw the Goldman Sachs employee who was murdered on the subway in Stat- on Staten Island released by a lax Brooklyn judge, where the prosecutor was asking for bail a month ago, where we saw the Times Square slasher that made national news. That person was released by a lax Queens judge, where the prosecutor was asking for bail. And on the Castle's bail front, yesterday I was in Inwood, former Governor George Pataki, uh, formerly endorsed our campaign. In July, there were two Mexican cartel drug smugglers who were busted there with $1.2 million worth of crystal meth, hmm. instantly released on cashless bail. Jeez. So these, these realities cannot be ignored any longer. No, and I'll tell you what, the cover of today's New York Post, Lee Zeldin, is basically, basically, you know this, a campaign aid for you. It reads, record number of New Yorkers moved to Florida in August. The state escape turns out that over 5,800 New Yorkers moved to Florida last month. It broke the record of just over 5,700 back in a cold January. So you look at that, they are running out of this state in droves. That is basically a campaign ad for you, Lee. Well, listen, it's a sad reality that right now New York leads the entire nation in population loss. And I don't think that Kathy Hochul is going to be calling into your show in five minutes, and that's because <laughs> she's not calling into anybody's show in five minutes to, to actually answer the tough questions. But if, if she was to spontaneously dial the wrong number and end up on the line on you, uh, with you in a few minutes, yeah. you can ask her to finish this sentence. New York leads the entire nation in population loss because... I just want to hear her try to answer that. Right. And, and by the way, that's not a gotcha. If you want to be the governor of the state of New York, how can you do anything to reverse what you just mentioned, which is on the front cover of today's New York Post, if you don't even know why people are leaving in the well, first no, place? No, but she'd have an answer, because don't forget, she's not that far removed, Lee, from yelling and screaming the night that Pat Ryan, the night before he beat Molinaro, that you and Donald Trump and Molinaro and Sid Rosenberg get on a plane and get the hell out of here, because what she'll say is those people that are leaving, they don't share our values anyway. We don't want them, which, of course, is nonsense. I'm running to be the governor of all New Yorkers, whether you vote for me or not, regardless of what your party registration is. If you want to be the governor of the state of New York, you need to be willing to be the governor of all New Yorkers. But Kathy Hochul, her theory, her philosophy on governing is that if, if you challenge her, that you're no longer a New Yorker, if you disagree with her, you need to get on a bus and permanently move to Florida. Her words, not ours. Yep. I mean, she called on New Yorkers to get the COVID vaccine by saying that the New Yorkers should be her apostles. 
They, she was referring to herself at the New York State Association of Counties, counties meeting by saying that she was the mother of all 62 counties. I mean, you and I have spoken about this uh, in, in the past, and when we were together uh, in Deal, New Jersey recently, I mentioned it when I was on stage then. I, at no point would I ever think of that internally in my head, referring right. myself True. as the father of all 62 counties, let alone actually say that out loud. Oh, uh, you, you really wouldn't. And above and beyond all of the political failures which she has, all of her philosophies which are killing New York on a daily basis, Lee, you got to point this out. She's really corrupt. Her Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin arrested. Her husband making a ton of money on this ridiculous Buffalo Bill Stadium deal, merchandising, who knows. And now this latest story with Charlie Tabelli, $637 million contract. He gave her $300,000. This is corruption with a capital C, Lee Zeldin. You didn't say $637,000. You didn't say $637. You just said $637 million. This is a no-bid contract to one of her top campaign supporters. The reason why she's able to do a no-bid contract is because she declared on her own unilaterally that she was just going to suspend the state's competitive bidding laws. The offer gets made to the state. It gets accepted the same day. And by the way, this company that got the contract, they don't even manufacture the COVID test. They're just, they're just a middleman. So California went out directly to the company that was manufacturing. And California is never a profile you know, in, in fiscal courage. Right. They got the, the COVID test at 45% less. Where – where was the Hochul administration in negotiating for a better deal for New York taxpayers? If you do the rough math, that means that New York taxpayers spent over a quarter billion dollars extra, just like lighting a match on it, except it wasn't necessarily you know, lit where it just burned up. She was actually giving right. it to a top campaign supporter. Jeez. So th- this is crazy. And like, where's the attorney general? Where's the state comptroller? Where's the district attorney? I mean, this is something that has to get investigated. And by the way, you have to put up a stand on it because this is not just some one-off. This is a pattern of misconduct and corruption, and she will keep doing it over and over and over again until the other outlets that are out there holding her water, blacking out the fact that she has a race and that she has an opponent, unwilling to say anything negative about her at all. We see that with Newsday on Long Island where – you know, they, they just won't say anything negative. Uh, and you just need to actually call this out because it's going to get worse, not better. And she cannot be rewarded with a four-year term. One party continued rule up in Albany. Things will get worse. I agree. But uh, can't just be Sid Rosenberg in the New York Post. You know, I need some help out here uh, to make people aware of what she's been doing. Again, there's four or five different cases of corruption here, Lee Zeldin. $637 million. I mean, you got to be kidding me. So finally, on the way out, when you do win in November... You'll be governor of New York like Ron DeSantis is governor down in Florida, like Greg Abbott is governor in Texas. I'm on record, Fox News, saying I think what they did with these migrants, specifically Martha's Vineyard, heroes, brilliant American heroes. Your thoughts on the way out? Listen, I think that the Biden administration is doing a a purposeful face plant on it. It's not pretty when you do it on accident. It's even more head-scratching when you do it on purpose. They should be finishing construction of the border wall, ending catch and release, enforcing the Remain in Mexico policy, supporting our Customs and Border Patrol agents, 
stop incentivizing and rewarding illegal entry. Incentivizing and rewarding illegal entry is also happening at the state level. It's happening inside of New York City. In New York City, they want to give non-citizens the, the right to vote, diluting the constitutional pr- uh, principle of one person, one vote for U.S. citizens. And in a state, they continue to find new ways to incentivize and reward it. When people come to, to this state, whether they're getting flown in or they're getting busted, in. New Yorkers want to know when are they coming, who's on there, where they're coming from, where are they going. And unfortunately, with Kathy Hochul, she wasn't saying anything until she found for herself a red state boogeyman. But, but I think the ultimate double standard hypocrisy test for anyone out there who is losing their minds over 50 people showing up at Martha's Vineyard, just think what it must be like to be on one of these border communities right now. All day, every day, you're getting 50 in spades coming in all day long. All day long, and you're not getting the help from the federal government. The state shouldn't be forced to deploy their own National Guard to the border because the federal government isn't doing their job. And lastly, by the way, on this issue, the last issue and everything else that we talked about in this interview, Kathy Hochul still to this day has not yet accepted any debate request. I was going to ask you that. So right now, zero debates from Kathy Hochul. Zero. She has accepted none. for, For the last... Several weeks she's been talking about how there's going to be a debate. She still to this day has not yet accepted any. And by the way, in two days, absentee ballots start going out. So I I have proposed something that is very extreme. You know, the the Democrats, they like to, to use the title extreme with me. Here's something that is very extreme. We should let voters know where we stand on issues before they vote. <laughs> right. Very extreme. <laughs> Very extreme. They are ridiculous. Uh, you're a great man, great father, a great statesman, great politician. You're going to be a great governor. Give my best to uh, Jim Jordan, Steve Scalise, all the guys, and uh, keep coming on and keep rocking it, Lee. You're doing a terrific job, and you're on your way to a win, I promise you. Good to talk to you, pal. Yes, sir. Thanks, Ed. My man, Lee Zeldin, right there, live from the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., getting ready. Now less than 50 days away, folks. You know what to do. Vote Lee Zeldin come November. When we get back, the Fed is about to raise interest rates. What does that mean for you? We will talk to the very smart Monica Crowley right here on Bernie and Sid. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hey, Bill O'Reilly here, and you are listening to Bernie and Sid. God help you. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. So the Fed is about to raise 
Interest rates again, third consecutive time. So we've had a great show today. Lee Zeldin, Nigel Farage, Peter King, Thomas Sullivan. But I do want to talk to this um, young lady, very good friend of mine, worked for Donald Trump, Steve Mnuchin, the whole crew in the White House, now has her own podcast. And is, in fact, I'll be on a podcast today. Very exciting stuff. Back for a second consecutive week. The very talented and smart Monica Crowley. Monica, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Sid. And I cannot wait to talk to you today for my podcast. It's going to be so much fun. I'm very excited for folks who will want to hear that edition and the rest of them episode, I should say. Where can they find the Monica Crowley podcast and how often do you do it? Oh, well, thank you, Sid. It's called the Monica Crowley Podcast, which is not particularly <laughs> right. creative, but it it does get to the point. And you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. So Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, wherever you go to get them. And I do it three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I treat my podcast like a talk radio show. So we do a lot of current events. We've got a lot of great guests like you, and we have a lot of fun while we're doing it. Sounds great. So before we get to interest rate stuff, I saw a story in today's business section of the New York Post. This lady, Jamie Fiore Higgins, you know who she is? No. She's 46 years old. She's from Somerset County, New Jersey, and she's got a brand new book out. And the name of the book is Bully Market, My Story of Money and misogyny at Goldman Sachs. So it turns out she was a big star at Goldman Sachs, a big deal. But uh, her boss told her at one point she was promoted because of her vagina and said she was the target of moo sounds from co-workers who mocked her weight after she gave birth to her fourth child. So as a woman, Monica, in a very big male business, stocks, business, the market, and even working at the White House, Can you identify with what this uh, girl wrote about in this book, which is supposed to do very, very well? Yeah, you know, I saw the story in the New York Post, uh, and so now you're jogging my memory on this. Look, I I think pretty much every industry is open to this kind of abuse, whether it's between the sexes or whatever, or between bosses and subordinates and sexual harassment and the whole thing. I think Wall Street might be particularly inclined (laughs) to it because of... Because of all the money involved and people get a, a heady uh, view of themselves when they're awash in money and they're making big trades and, and there are a lot of stakes involved with what they do, they create in their own mind this like godlike uh, impression of themselves and that can come out in abusing a lot of the people around them or being sexist pigs like she is describing <laughs> yeah, yeah. in this book. Aye, aye, aye. It sounds like it's going to be a great read, Bully Market. I'm saying that with my book out right now, Citizens United. Let's get to the big story of the day. The Fed is about to raise interest rates, I guess, in an attempt to tame this out-of-control inflation, although Joe Biden said, it's getting a lot better, man. Come on, Jack. It went from 8.3 to 8.2. Aren't you following this thing? Uh, two things. First of all, the interest rates. What does that really mean for everyday Americans? And will it, do you think, eventually tame this out-of-control inflation? Well, that's a big question. So let's start first with what the Fed is going to do today. The consensus is that the Fed is going to raise um, the interest rates by 0.75 or 75 basis points. This is going to be the highest uh, interest rate hike um, at the at the high end since 2008. 
So it's absolutely necessary that they do this. They should have been doing this a long time ago, like last year when inflation really began to, to spiral out of control. But the Fed has a real problem because the Fed, Jerome Powell, the head of the Fed, as well as the Biden administration on the fiscal side, they were all telling us for well over a year that the inflation that we were all seeing and experiencing and paying for, Sid, was just transitory. It was just temporary. And no action needed to be done. In fact, the Fed just sort of sat on interest rates for a long time. And not only that, they were contributing to it because they were blowing up the Fed's balance sheet because they were doing all of these asset purchases, like $200 billion um, a month. Uh, pouring money back into the economy, just printing money out of thin air and pushing it back down into the system. So they were creating it on the monetary side. And on the fiscal side, you had Biden and the Democrats spending money like crazy. In fact, they still are trillions and trillions and trillions. Last year, Sid, 2001, between fiscal and monetary stimulus, the federal government spent $6.8 trillion. Wow. That we don't have and can't afford. So then everybody's walking around like, oh, gee, I can't believe we have this inflation. That's crazy. Mm. No, it's not crazy. The laws of economics are hard and fast. You can't spin uh, economics, right? Those laws are there and they don't move. It's not like talking about like social policy, welfare policy, or, you know, wetlands in New Jersey, where you can put a spin <laughs> on it or whatever, right? No, the, the laws of economics are there and they don't move. They are durable and, and stable. So, of course, you have this crazy inflationary environment that is directly affecting every American at the grocery store, at the gas pump. Energy is built into everything you consume. It's not a giant mystery why it happened. You know, during the Trump years, Sid, we had a Goldilocks economy. We had strong economic growth, historically low unemployment, and little to no inflation. And then Biden and the Democrats come in with unified control over the government, spend like crazy to slam their their neo-communist agenda into place, and the rest of us are left holding the bag. These higher interest rates, and a lot of people are saying that they're going even higher through the middle of next year. The Fed funds rate could be as high as 5.5%. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Which, which is going to be so painful if you want to buy a house or yep. buy a car or just live. And, you know, the other thing, too, that not a lot of people talk about, the higher the interest rates go, the higher the interest that the government has to pay on the debt. And that means if, if all of that money is going to paying, you know, debt service, um, on the national debt, it leaves less money for the government to actually do the stuff that they're supposed to do. Ouch. Right? It, it is going to be extremely painful, as we saw in the 1980s, where they ratcheted up interest rates to, what, 17, 18 percent to try to mop up the excess money. And it threw the entire economy into a recession. So if you think things are bad now, just wait. Oh, my God. Well, I'm glad I brought you on. <laughs> I mean, I'm a grim reaper. We're going to have more fun on my podcast. Oh, I can't wait to do that. But with 60 seconds to go, if uh, uh, Trump won yesterday, and now he's back in the White House, and he goes, hey, Monica, you did a really good job on me last time around. I want you back. Inflation's 8.2%. Uh, rates are uh, going up. Interest rates are going up. I need you to fix this. Could you do it? Could you do it? Well, I- 
I, I think, I thank you for the question, Sid, but I think there are more qualified people uh, like our friend Larry Kudlow, who should be the next Treasury Secretary in another Trump administration. Um, but I will certainly heed the call to serve my country in whatever capacity, because we are now in an existential fight for America. This is not a joke. This is a very serious time. The country is hanging by a thread. And I encourage everybody to do whatever you can in your own community to try to help. So we're coming up on an election. Please volunteer your services to be an election observer. If you're a lawyer, volunteer your services. If legal challenges come up over ballots and 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 wins and losses and that sort of thing, really step up in your own community because block by block, that's where how we're going to take back America. Well said, Monica Crowley. I can't wait to be on your podcast later on this afternoon. Another spectacular appearance. Thank you for stopping by today and uh, keep coming by. You're terrific. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Sid. Thanks. The great Monica Crowley here. Now it's time to beat Bernie. It's time to beat Bernie. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. You think you, you can, can beat Bernie? Good luck. It's time to beat Bernie. Ah, uh, yes. It is indeed time for the Peerless Boilers Beat Bernie contest. I put on my smart narrator voice for this one. I'm your host, Justin Ellick. We got Brian out in Yonkers. He's going to try and beat Sid today. Another special edition of the Beat Sid Peerless Boilers. Excuse me. Beat Bernie contest. I had to swallow some spit. Have a salami. Yeah, well, I'm salivating over all these salami sandwiches I've had to um, describe. Brian, what's going on? You're out in Yonkers. What's going on, buddy? Yeah, hi. Um, you know, I was in, I got to tell Sid later that I was in Kingsborough Community College with him. Oh. Not, not with him, but we went there as well. So, I'm going to go forward yeah. to discussing that with him. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's good. He didn't go to class, but. No, no, yeah. So if you were a class goer, he didn't, he doesn't, he won't remember you. But, oh, is that why I never saw him there? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <No>. exactly. <laughs> I see what you did. <laughs> Retired naval officer, Brian. Uh, thank you for your service, man. Uh, how long ago was that? Thank you. Um, I finished in 2008. Um, actually, I was I was assigned to the 105th uh, um, transport wing up there in Newburgh with the uh, was with the Air Force guys for a while. Oh, <laughs> how about a, that? That was interesting. Very cool. Very cool, yeah. my man. Well, uh, well, thank 105th. you. Thank, yeah. thank you for all your hard work and uh, your service, obviously. And uh, retired now, so hopefully relaxing. And uh, yeah, gonna mm-hmm. gonna try and uh, use your brain here for uh, for a few minutes and try and beat set, okay? Yes. Thank All you. right. Here we go. Number one, a full court shot in the NBA is worth how many points? <laughs> Three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice, you, yeah. Enjoying it? <laughs> <laughs> this is a nice job on the trick question there, <laughs> Brian. Three points. Yes, indeed. A full court shot. Two, one for one. Which WABC radio host, often referred to as the great one, celebrates his 65th birthday today? Oh, Mark Levin. Very good. Happy birthday, Mark Levin, the great one. That's right. I said it. It's a freak show. Yep. I am a freak show. Thank you, Mark. Two for two. Brian, he's perfect. On to number three. Who is the only player in MLB history to hit 30 homers and throw 100 strikeouts in a single season? He, you say he threw 100 strikeouts? Yeah. As being he, a, he hit 30. He's a pitcher? He's a two-way player. Oh, okay. Um, Babe Ruth? Oof. Wrong, you two-legged back of anthrax. should be Jesus. Shohei Otani. The new. Oh, okay. The new 
face of baseball, I guess you could say. That's what, that's what everybody else who doesn't live in New York wants to say, but they're wrong. All right. Mm-hmm. Two for three. Back on track here, Brian. Number four, which of these current Supreme Court justices has been serving the longest? Is it A, Clarence Thomas, B, Katanji Brown Jackson, or C, William O. Douglas? Oh, wow. Um, gee, uh, I guess Douglas, since I haven't heard of him. I think he's been here a while. Great. Very solid guess there, Brian. C was the mm. correct answer. William O. Douglas. Mm-hmm. All right, three for four, on to number five. Name one of three non-offensive NFL players to ever win an MVP. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's a tough one. I don't think I'm going to know this. Oh, uh, boy. Let's see. Um, uh, oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to guess the guy for the linebacker for the Giants, um, Lawrence Taylor. Oh! Oh! Wow. Pulled that one out of you nowhere, Brian. My God. What a performance. Yeah. Four for five. We'll pat you on hold here, Brian, right. for a couple of minutes. You'll get a chance to uh, speak to the big guy about your both of your college endeavors here coming up. Wake up! Yeah, I'm, I'm awake. Thanks, Mark. Are you ready to play? Are you awake? I am doing so well. You have no... Oh, Jesse Waters. Yeah. Having me on now September 27th, which, by the way, happens to be A, the release of Bill O'Reilly's book, and B... My beautiful wife, Danielle's birthday. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Okay. September 27th, Jesse Waters. Well, hopefully he'll pull through uh, this right. time. I know. We like Jesse Waters. How you feeling today, buddy? All right? I feel fine. All uh, right? You okay. got a big zit on your face. You look... Uh... I got like a million what zits on so my face. Why do so many zits today? Because I, when I don't have zits, I wear hats, and then it's like a cycle. But and you then, don't usually have bad skin. No, I don't. It's Are just, you menstruating? It's just, it's just male menstruation? Yeah, I'm on my period. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we did a soft opening. Oh, that's why uh, Eric Adams right. explained it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's go. Here we go. Number one, a full court shot in the NBA is worth how many points? Three. <laughs> Stupid question by Phil. George, I'll talk about you after the next break. Yeah, George, he's like standing there. I love Kevin. <laughs> salivating. He's becoming one of my favorites. I may even fire one of you guys and bring Kevin George on the show. Well, I'm thinking about it. All right. All right. Okay. I'll give him uh, two months. You know that, yeah. uh, that Noam, Loden, Noam Layton is really a moron. I <laughs> what? The yeah, man. Why you got to get, get Noam involved? I don't know. That's Jesus. He's I having love his Nome. whole little joke. In yeah. yeah. This is the part of the show where uh, Sid goes around and just... And just <laughs> yeah. See who can follow him the best. Yeah. People love this part. Uh, yeah. Get number two, guys. Okay, yeah. here we go. Number All two. Right. By the way, you got to go uh, You got to go perfect to win the game. Yeah, we've said that three times. Oh, did, did we, have we been yeah. over that? No. Okay. <laughs> Which WABC radio host, often referred to as The Great One, celebrates his 65th birthday today? Is that right? Is yeah. Mark Levin's birthday. How about that? You know, I was on them a couple of weeks ago. I really talk about it much, but can you play all those cuts of me and Levin again tomorrow, like for the hundredth time? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Sure. Yeah, Happy so birthday, Mark Levin. There. We love you. Whatever you say. That's a good American. That's a good man right there. Okay. Yeah. Wake up! Happy birthday, Mark. Yeah. On to number three, two for two. Who is the only player in MLB history to hit 30 homers and, and throw 100 strikeouts in a single season? He did what? He hit 30 home runs and yeah. threw 100 strikeouts in a single season. Babe Ruth? Wrong, you two-legged back of anthrax should be Jesus. Show that a terrible answer? Shohei Otani. Oh, I forgot. Right. Yeah. Right. I always think of oh. pitcher. You're right. Otani. Yeah, he's the MVP. No, he's not. <laughs> Way behind. Makes me want to barf. Oh, so I can't win today. Damn it. Go ahead. And yeah, you could tie, though. Right. On to number four. Which of these Supreme Court justices, these current Supreme Court justices, right. has been serving for the longest? A. Right. Clarence Thomas, B, Katanji Brown Jackson, C, William O. Douglas. Who? C? 
Bill Douglas? We, yeah. I got to go with Clarence Thomas. Mm. Uh, it's Bill Douglas? Yeah. I know it was in the middle because yeah. Katanji just got that job that late. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. No, not a lot of people talk about William Douglas. No. Douglas has got a lot of mention these days. A revered man, indeed. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I've literally never heard his name before today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and finally. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you lost today's game, but to wrap up here, name one of the three non-offensive NFL players to ever win an MVP. Oh, that would be, um, wait, an MVP during the regular season? Yeah. Because during the Super Bowl, we've had a bunch, bunch of those. Oh, yeah, of Including course. Charles Woodson and yeah, uh, Chuck yeah, yeah. Howley. Um, I'm going to go with Lawrence Taylor. Bang. Not a bad showing out of you, but uh, you did get one-upped by Brian in Yonkers. Brian, congratulations. Uh, well-deserved win today. Thank you for your service in the Navy, and I couldn't lose to a better guy. <laughs> Thank you, Sid. I'm honored to think I had my, my one wrong answer was the same wrong answer you gave. I gave Babe Ruth as well. I thought it was Babe Ruth. Yeah, you know, I forget about Otani because he does it both right now because, Brian, that's the guy we'd always think about, especially today with Aaron Judge tying Babe Ruth. Right. So I'm right with you. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for listening to our show, and thank you for playing our game, and thank you for being a great American. You're welcome. I was in Kingsborough Community College where you went, but I don't think at the same time. <laughs> oh, what, what year were you there? I think I finished there in 2017. Oh, I was oh, on the post 9-11 GI Bill. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, after, me. after all my service. Oh, I got you. Much. I got you. Well, thank yeah, you for was, your service, and God yeah. bless you, Brian. Thank you. You know, right. I meant to and talk. I, my best to, I will to Bernie. I give my yes. best to Bernie. Can I will. we visit him anywhere? Is he is he anywhere the public can visit him? No, he's home. In the hospital he's, or whatever? he's home. You can't visit him. Thank you. Oh, uh, okay. okay. Right. Oh, we got to go. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so, Ina Vernikov was supposed to come on today. And talk about this whole CUNY thing and Eric Adams and anti-Semitism. My buddy Jeff Lax over at Kingsborough Community College, he's the one that has really been yelling and screaming about this. He was on Newsmax a couple of days ago. But in is sick today, so she can't join us today, maybe tomorrow. We'll come back and wrap things up. It's been a great Wednesday show right after this. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters on 77 WABC. Bernard McGurk. Unacceptable is throwing your beer can on the subway tracks. <laughs> Sid Rosenberg. I don't believe it's a three-man race. Bernie and Sid in the morning. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. Oh, baby. Let's do this. Oh, come on. Come on, New York. Shake that thing. Macedonia, Phil, you idiot. Because you, I got a text from my beautiful wife, Danielle, which read, you suck. Because I knew I wasn't wrong when you gave me those three choices for the Supreme Court. And I tend to know the people on the court now pretty well. And Bill Douglas, of course, didn't ring a bell. And that's because, oh, he's been dead for 50 years. Dead. (laughs) Why do you do that? I He's been to, dead. I, I didn't mean to put current. I, I meant to put like all time. Aye, aye, aye. He's testing everybody. Time. Yeah, so I'm not that stupid. Well, Thank I you. wouldn't go that far. All right, fine. Love you, Bill. <laughs> yeah. I've got Monica Crowley's podcast coming up this afternoon. Then an audition for Law & Order. Tomorrow, big show. Bobby Valentine and Bill O'Reilly just for starters. And don't forget tomorrow night at the John Katsimatidi Stadium on Staten Island, the very first annual Spotlight Foundation for Dyspraxia DCD Celebrity Charity Softball Game, a charity my wife and I put together, inspired by my son Gabriel. Got a big crowd coming out there tomorrow night, we hope. Staten Island tomorrow night for Danielle, Sid, and Gabe.
That's it, folks. We're done. Lou Rafino, Macedonia Phil, Justin Ellick, Frankie Diaz, Jeff Valentine, Jacqueline Carl, all did an amazing job today. We will all be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Until then, folks, enjoy your sunny Wednesday in New York City. From all of us to all of you, 